What's up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Man, honestly, feels like we are only just back in the swing of things since the Manjim Up trip. Momentum, I am learning, is a real mother, you know? Um, yeah, we were kind of on a roll before Manji, come back, had a crash, you know, COVID, all that. Um, but look, I feel like we're fully back in our groove. Um, if you have not listened to the last podcast with Cody Shock, 100% you need to go back. We're getting uh, a lot of epic feedback on that one. But my guest today is one of the nicest people on planet Earth. I know I talk a lot of shit. I say a lot of things in hyperbole for effect. This is not one of those times. Will Hahn is legitimately one of the nicest people on earth. We talk about it in the podcast, but neither of us can even really remember meeting. I just feel like he's been one of my friends since I can remember. Um, he is, again, the nicest dude. And I'm so pumped that we finally got to do this one. Um, when I first was kind of opening up to the idea uh, of doing the US stuff, um, even before we had the US studio, we we're just kind of doing Zoom calls through COVID. Um, I had planned on doing one of these with Will, but he's just an insanely busy dude. He works super hard. He works harder now than he did when he was racing. So this one took a while to schedule. Um, and then there was kind of the switch of him going from star to gas gas. Um, and I think he just got over talking about it as well. So timing was right. We finally got it done and uh, yeah, pumped. We are brought to you today by our unreal sponsors, as always. Firstly, the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au. I will be absolutely hammering MX Store in the next week. Uh, we are pretty in on the 125 build. The frames away getting painted. Uh, we've got all of our accessories sitting there ready to rip at MX Store. Um, we're lucky enough we can just do that click and collect because their, uh, their new superstore is just around the corner from us. Um, but if you're not able to do the click and collect, never fear. If you order before 2 p.m. on any weekday, uh, you're going to get same day shipping. Uh, the guys at MX Store, best in the biz. mxstore.com.au we're also brought to you by the guys at Fist Handwear. You can head to fisthandwear.com, pump in the code GYPSYGANG. That's going to get you a 15% off. That code is also going to work at Dixon Flannel. Um, you could peep the new Ned Flannel that they've got, inspired by one of the most notorious Australians, Ned Kelly. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Rival Ink Design Co. You can head to rivalinkdesignco.com, pump in the code gypsy gang and that is going to get you 15 percent off there as well uh and also by the guys at cricks tweed if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle uh head to crickstweed.com.au ask for kyle he is the man there oh also if you're listening to this in australia and you're in queensland and you want to come and race with us and you have a two-stroke so this is a fairly i guess uh descriptive short demographic uh but if you fit that description please come and race in the Gypsy Tales two-stroke class at the King of Capricorn in Rockhampton. It's one of my favorite tracks in Australia. Um, we raced this race last year. Wardy and the gang are doing an amazing job. 35 grand in prize money up for grabs. 
all of the big boys um, that are able to get to that race are going to be there. Toddy's going to be there. Jay Wilson's going to be there. Jats Richo will be on our Problem Child 125. Uh, it is going to be an epic weekend. Friday practice, Saturday racing, Sunday racing. Bring the fam. Get your backside, trackside. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's it for the ads today. Uh, Will Hahn, ladies and gentlemen, the man. Will Hahn, my boy, welcome to Gypsy Tales. I've been waiting to say that for a long ass time. I mean, honestly, I'm, I would say 100% to blame for it not happening earlier. I've been hard to track down and pit in the ass, but no, I'm, I'm excited. Hey, you've had stuff to do, all right? You have been busy. There is no, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's no hard feelings there. No, it's, uh, yeah, my plate's been full for a while. I think busier now than when I was racing. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of one of the things I was going to get into, like down the track, but it's almost like you won a championship and you're a solid dude that rode for a bunch of factory teams throughout your career it's not many dudes that have as good a career as you do but then their career after racing is better and that's not a yeah, better than better than my racing career you know it's gnarly um like my resume now is and i'm not trying to be i don't know pompous or whatever but no i have a good resume and it's just from being around a lot of good people influencing me after racing to to keep going and i didn't have that i don't know luau of like those years of wondering what I'm going to do next I just jumped right into it like I didn't even have time to think about not racing or miss it or do anything because I was so busy right away yeah one of the things um with you is that you're an example that goes against nice guys finish last because I think (laughs) that all of the the uh all of the things that happened in your career even to like some of the rides that you got were I could see them being so heavily leaned towards the fact that you were just such a good person uh, to be around. And I think it's so underrated, not only in just, I mean, it's super rare in sport because athletes, you kind of have to be super selfish um, with your time and, and, you know, the, I guess the commitment that you've got to put in, but that sometimes doesn't lend itself to being like, quote unquote, a good person to be around. And then you look at when you went from racing to then 
straight into team roles and then you know now the role that you're doing um as a trainer i mean all of this has come from you being a super super good person yeah and i think i was just extremely fortunate enough to to build a lot of good relationships and it wasn't just with one team or the other it was like i was lucky enough just like i said that everyone was cool to me and i was just it's it sounds stupid and like cliche but just treat people how i wanted to be treated and if everyone did that to me back you know and there was rides i got that i didn't deserve you know if you're going purely off the results um geico rehiring me after racing three races for him like why did they I, at this point still i don't know how to answer that other than they yeah they saw something to me they believed in me but i think they also wanted me around regardless of the outcome um and certain stuff like that you just it doesn't go unnoticed or you know you're walking around at the end of an outdoor season and you don't have a ride for next year and you know in september everyone's already signed and you're walking around like hey dude i'll sweep the floors and shit like what, what do you want me to do I, I need a bike next year and, and i was just lucky enough to always tie it together and uh, i remember being hurt and both of the geico owners came and saw me in the hospital and said when you're done we got a job for you and i was just sitting there in bed like wow and I, didn't, I didn't even think about being done at that point or anything i didn't even know when that was going to be or how that was going to be or you know five years a year didn't i didn't know but knowing that i had a job and when i decided to retire i called them and they said yep you got a job we weren't lying you know and it was just like that was i don't know it's huge it's huge so obviously um that comes from the way that you were raised the fact that you know you don't just well i guess you can turn into a super good person without being raised right but um no one you know your background and family was that always just a huge priority that your parents kind of instilled in you uh growing up yeah i mean for sure a lot of that comes from my mom like she's sweetest person i know um my dad was tough but also i mean he knew when to to be aggressive with you and when not to and his biggest thing that he instilled into us was just be a man of your word you know and whatever that is you stick to it and you do everything wholeheartedly like he didn't care if i got seventh if i gave 100 percent, it was when you know he could clearly tell you weren't trying your best and whether that was still a win or not that's when he'd get pissed at you so for me all i was brought up to was you work first you play after and however you got to do that you just had to do 100 percent. like it doesn't doesn't care what i did and i mean we they let us have free reign like we didn't drink or anything we went to parties all the time going up but we also knew we had to be up at 6 a.m. doing work on the farm. So it was like, for me, it, it literally, I don't know how he instilled that into us, but they never told us we couldn't drink or do anything. We just knew we had priorities the next day, and we honestly thought that would ruin our career. you know. And it was like one of those things where Tom and I, and I was lucky to have Tom also. Like He was a big influence on me, and he took me everywhere. I mean, that's not exactly cool when you're 17, 18, bringing your 13-year-old brother around to ev- everywhere with you because it's not exactly you know to pick up chicks that's not the best route but he never complained about it and took me everywhere yeah man you guys had such a, a cool dynamic um and yeah he was just a stud too like when he Dude. uh you know was kind of amateur and coming out like what actually in your opinion like now that you look back at it and i'm sure you've got probably the best perspective on it but why do you think that tommy didn't do what he probably was capable of doing like is it just a luck factor and injuries and timing like is he one of those guys because i mean on paper like man watch that guy ride some of the rides he put in like his body shape his physique like the ingredients were there for him to do 
so much in the sport. Uh, dude, I mean, uh, he's one of those talents, you know, he's like a Christian Craig or a Kevin Windham or something like that, where it just comes so naturally easy to him. And he's so pretty on the bike. You know, when I watch videos of myself, I'm like, God, it's hideous, you know, but the effort's there. But like Tom, it was like, <laughs> he's a second and a half faster than me and it looks sick as hell too, you know? And I'm like, man, I, I honestly like being at this point now, I would say it's more the mental side. Like, I think that that's in any sport, if you don't work on it enough, and especially when it does come easier to you, you know, I think it's something that's overlooked. Um, he didn't have lack of effort as far as working hard or anything like that. He had the same stuff instilled in him that I did. And it just, I think knowing what we know now and, and you're around sports psychologists enough now, and <clears throat> I mean, you're, you're willing to do anything on the bike or your training, right? To get 1%. But if you get 1% doing something else, it's like it's overlooked. And, I, and I, I really don't understand that because, like, I'm down to do whatever. If I can get a half a percent gain out of two hours of work or something else, like, who, who cares? We just got to do it. So what, what would be the difference between you guys in terms of, like, the way that you approach racing? <sighs> that's a good question. That's Actually, that's deep. I like that. That's uh, That's... <laughs> I think honestly, I really, I really think maybe at times it came too easy to him. And I was always, and honestly, I was chasing him my whole life. I had that carrot mm. and I wasn't fast enough to, he didn't have to chase me. He was easy for him to beat me. I mean, he could still beat me today. No problem, especially practicing. So, but for me, I was never that I was literally always trying to be his speed like chasing him as hard as I could. I mean, he could run faster than me. He could bicycle better than me. He could ride a dirt bike better than me. So it was like, I always had that, that next step or that goal. Like oh, I got to beat him or I got to at least be as fast as him or ride like him or whatever, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I think I was not planned to, to be like that. And it, we just lucked out that that ended up making me the rider I was. It's crazy, man, when you look at so many examples. It does go both ways, but you look at so many examples of the younger brother historically would be the better brother eventually. And I think that it's kind of plays into what you're saying. Like, even if I think about Jet and Hunter, like, you got this no-pressure kid. Like, I remember Jet at Coulomb, like, at one of our local tracks here, and all the focus is on Hunter and he is murdering everybody and he's like on an 80 and you know Darren's there like making sure like Hunter's the kid that's taking it super serious he's like almost at you know 10 years old he's decided this is what I'm gonna do and so that focus from a parent side is like okay we'll give if this is what you want then like we'll help you do this and then Jet in the sand with a toy dirt bike making a super cross track zero pressure oblivious to the realities of racing and then he rolls out on the line on a 50 almost lap second place and then it's like oh good job jetty like good work and then back to the sand to play with the kids and then you know you move to europe and then hunter's there on a ride jets just got like the support off the side and then again it's like the hunter's hunter's the focus he's the oldest guy he's the one in like meaningful championships and then i think that you know in jet's mind like he's got that carrot he's got that guy that's faster than him he's got that guy that's bigger than him on bigger bikes that and there's something about that that just seems to develop the younger uh the younger brother 
when I think too, you're, you're constantly around older people than you too. Like it's kind of unfortunate, but it's also a good thing. You're forced to grow up a hell of a lot quicker than you probably would normally. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. hang out what majority of my friends were Tom's friends. So majority of my friends that I was around was four or five years older than me. So I think like it or not, you're, you're kind of forced to grow up quicker than maybe you would have, or maybe you would have even liked to. Um, but with that said, then also they're making mistakes and then you see them either a get punished, whether that's day to day house stuff or with the parents or even on the dirt bike, you, you see those and you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. So you're learning without even having to go through them in a sense. Like when I look back on that, that's what I contributed to. I don't really know mm-hmm. the correct answer to that, but I feel like totally like, you know, if he get disciplined by my parents for something he did or whatever at the house, it was like, well, shit, don't do that. You know, I'm not going to go that route. But so I think you're constantly learning with without even being taught in a sense man you know it's so crazy me and my brother we were driving to the track the other day so my brother's younger than me way better than me at motocross so we're following the same (laughs) (laughs) we're following the same trajectory like fucking way better than me and uh we were talking in the car and i mean like I spent my 20s fucking around in America, essentially. Like, I left at 21, come back at 29, and I had no fucking money at the end of it. And I, it was just yep. a send fest, you know? Like, I was just literally living the best life that I possibly could at the time. But I had nothing. And I come, I come back, and, you know, like, my brother would always see... And, I mean, even fast forward, or rewind, like, at school, I was a terrible kid and I was always fighting with my parents I was always getting in trouble I was always fighting with other kids at school like I just was a fucking tumultuous kid you know and uh and my brother he stayed back in Australia obviously and he just was watching everything that I was going through and we were in the car the other day driving to the track and we were having like a you know like a proper deep combo and uh and he's like I, I sort of was talking to him about you know learning off different people and he's like man I've all the success that I have in my life because he's a very successful young dude and he goes all the success I have in my life is because I watched you fuck up so much for so long and he's like all I had to do was ride shotgun and just not do the shit that you were doing and he, <laughs> it's so gnarly like how important those kind of role models are no, and it's true, and you know, and it's uh, like I'm a big believer, and there is there really isn't any mistakes if you learn from them, right? So mm. when you have someone kind of making those for you, and you're also learning in the process, it's uh, to me that's pretty damn exciting in a way, and 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 you don't even know it is so organic, especially when you're you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve, like in that era. It's like I don't think it's a planned thing or you're doing it on purpose. It's just like well, you know, to stay away from that because obviously it's not the right thing to do, and then you know putting myself in Tom's shoes like I would have done the same shit he was doing because how do you know better you don't at that point so yeah it's it's, it's really crazy to think about that dude and like I said I'm really lucky I had him around and I had good parents and I was brought up correctly and how to treat people and um mainly the work ethic that they put into me I don't I don't know I don't know where it came from I mean we, we grew up in a town of about 75 people like so it wasn't like there was <laughs> people weren't leaving you know what what we do there mm. is my dad had a farm and you'd finish school and then you take over the farm. That's what you're supposed to do. And, uh, my dad kept telling us, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do what I've been doing the last 30 years. Like you're going to, we're going to get you out of here. And I never thought about it. Like I was honestly cool with taking over the farm. Like I'm fine with me to drink some beer on the weekends and, and work hard. Like I, and I didn't mind honestly the work. I, I liked it. It was fun. It's an escape. You don't talk to anybody for eight hours. It was kind of nice. 
Um, mm. And I started doing that. I mean, my dad put me on a tractor at eight years old, you know, by myself. And it was like, here you go. Here's what you're supposed to do. I'll come get you a dark, you know? And it's, I don't think, I don't even know if he knew what he was teaching me. And just the discipline and all that. Um, I'm sure that's what he wanted to do, but I'm not sure that it was planned completely, but it made us appreciate that. Cause when we were done for the day, then we got to, you know, they built us a track out back and we were lucky to have land and stuff like that. And, you know, then we rode till it was dark or whatever, you know, anytime we could squeeze in riding, we did it. And, um, but work came first and school came first <laughs> until it didn't, but you know, like anything. Um, and next thing we know, I don't know that we ever really thought we'd make it. Like I said, we raced locally and it wasn't exactly a big scene, but it was big enough. And next thing you know, Tom's crushing it. Like he, he was obviously better before I was, it kind of, it kind of went in spurts though. Like on sixties, I won a lot. And then he was mediocre on mini bikes, like eighties. Then when he got on big bikes, he like took off. But when I got on eighties, I was pretty bad. Like when I say bad, like, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever, somewhere in there. And then got on big bikes. And just, I did the same thing he did. As soon as I got on big bikes, it was like, okay, now I'm top three winning some races, doing some stuff like that at, you know, amateur nationals. And I'm like, wow, we can, maybe there is a future. What, what was it like for you guys um, in terms of the roadmap? to being professional because i'm sure that I, I think for everybody like even i had cody shock on um just the other day and it's like he grew up in delaware and he's got like one or two tracks that's close to him and you know he said that one of his big motivations in his life was the fact that he'd do these races and then he'd go back to school and then he'd see on like verb and all the websites that there's videos coming out of training facilities and he kind of couldn't have that was it the similar for you guys and the fact that you kind of go to these races and you feel such a part of this scene and then you dip back to Texas to down to 75 people and then it's like you guys are just away from it again for, you know, however long? I mean, it was kind of like that. It was I, We didn't, we ended up moving to Texas when I was about 14 because um, Kansas is where we originally grew up. And oh, that's so when we were there, Kansas yeah. Yeah, so it was it was weird, like especially winter time, like you'd put the bikes up. The only time we raced, like my dad, he loved taking us to arena cross, and now, in the big scheme of things, that's where all my supercross skills came from. We didn't even, again, didn't know it, but that's the only option we had to ride. We couldn't ride because it was so you know cold, snow, all that. So didn't ride during the week at all, and he would take us to these arena cross races. We'd race amateur day, and then I'd race Friday and Saturday night with the pros because they had a sixty invitational. Like Kawasaki had the sixty five invitational every every weekend, so yeah, he started doing those. And then next thing I know, like my timing's really good. And cause I didn't like jumping forever. Like I hated jumping, um, love turns. I've always loved turns, but like Tom was like a jumper. And so like, I'd look up to him like, man, I really wish I could do that. But I never, I never liked it. Um, then next thing you know, we're doing all these ring crosses. The next thing I know, I'm like really good at jumping too. And you know, it just transitioned to all this stuff, but yeah, you totally disappear. And like, no one took us seriously because that's where we were from. Right. It was like, well, you're not going to make it. You're not from Texas. You know, you're not from California. You're not from Florida. Like, eh, you know, kind of overlooked in a way. And luckily Tom broke out. And I think with, I don't know, without him breaking out, would I have maybe got the look that I got? I think it helped mm. uh, for sure. Um, I think that that, like I said, without him already kind of doing it, I think I would have maybe gotten overlooked, but I think he surprised so many people his last couple of years at Loretta's that uh, it put us on the map, honestly. Did you have other stuff that you were into away from moto that could have like kind of completely taken you away? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. I, and honestly, uh, I, I was over it. I think when I was like 14, like right, would have been like pretty close to when he went pro, maybe 13. I, I kept getting hurt. Like I kept breaking my wrist and it was like, to me, you're, what you're saying about Jay, like I relate to that so much. Like when I wasn't on the bike, it was kind of like whatever, like it wasn't my everything. And to Tom, you could see that focus in him. He knew that was what he was going to do from a young age. And you could see it in his eyes. You could tell in his demeanor that that's what he, he was going to get out. And he knew that. And this was his path. And for me, it was kind of like, yeah, it's fun. And I mainly was, honestly, I started doing it because he was doing it. It wasn't because I had a passion for it. I just wanted to do what he did. Like, well, he's riding. I want to ride. And so uh, with that said, it was like, it was crazy because for a long time, I really didn't take it seriously. Like he trained until I was 15, 14, 15, 16. I didn't train. I, I mean, I rode and did all this stuff, but it wasn't anything serious. And then, um, I remember coming out to California and visiting him after he signed with Geico and, uh, I was kind of over it and I was just, you know, working on bikes and I didn't mind being a mechanic even like I, I really enjoyed working on my bike and, um, talking to him and he's like, dude, you got to give it one shot, like just one all in and see what happens. And I was like, yeah, oh, you know, kind of on the fence. He's like, just one time he had hired a trainer at that point. He's like, you're going to work with her. You can do the same stuff. Like, we're going to go all in. You need to see if this is really what you're going to do. Because legitly at that point, like, yeah, like I said, I trained around a little bit. I'd go on a jog here and there, bike ride here and there. But it wasn't nothing complete enough to ever help me, right? Like, I probably thought I was doing a little bit, and it was whatever. Mm. But until he had that discussion with me, like, I didn't really take it that seriously. Like, yeah, I wanted to. But then, like I said, the injuries came, and I was kind of like, meh, you know, maybe I'll skateboard. And then quickly found out that wasn't going to work. But... Uh-huh. Yeah, I cannot see you being a skateboarder, no, we just, bro. No, zero coordination. I'm lucky that I can stand on a bike as zero long as I did. So. <laughs> yeah, none, dude. Absolutely none. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that said, I, we had that conversation, and I never looked back. He was right. I went all in, and I don't know, whatever he told me that day, it clicked, and I, I said, you know what, I, I am going to do this. And I, I remember having the discussion with him, like, that if I go all in and no matter what, the outcome of this is whether I win or top fives or whatever it is if I do it wholeheartedly I won't ever have a regret and I don't Mm. and when did so like let's completely fast forward to like even the end of your career so let's just like skip over all the racing for a second you're retired and you still train like a motherfucker so at some point there it became like a legitimate passion and to the point where like now you stop racing professionally where it's required to train and you still train like crazy so where like how did that switch develop in your mind that's a good question to pinpoint exactly i mean probably at that point when he asked me to go all in is i would say the start of it and then you know until i got into it and i and i felt the benefits I, i seen the benefits and then i felt like a better self too um and throughout the racing I felt like I said I felt the benefits and then I got hurt I can't remember when maybe 2011 I'd broken my back and then I got really into cycling because that's really all I could do it was low impact yeah um didn't have to worry about like obviously if I got if I crashed my bike yeah I'd probably be hurt but it was one of those things where you know I can't can't lock myself inside all day and then it just became a passion like you know how many miles can I do this week well let's double it next week or okay, I'm going to do a hundred by myself in the middle of July in Texas, you know, and whatever, figure it out and ended up being 60 miles of dirt road. And I think what you can dig mentally and find yourself, like it's, it's honestly what, what really gets me going on this stuff is 
where you can find yourself, how deep you can go. Like how many times did I quit when I was growing up on something because it got hard, right? When I didn't think I had anything left to give. Well, you know, you find out pretty quickly who you are as a human when you're by yourself on these roads and there's no food, there's no water, it's too hot. And you, any other time in your life, you would have just said, eh, you know, if there would have been a car right there, I would have got in it and left. But you can always find that next 5% that's left of you when you think it's time to give up. Like that's, I, I love that dude. Like finding that suffer and something about that. And I, I mean, we're all crazy to an extent, but I love suffering, dude. Like I, I want to hurt. I want to feel that pain. Like, especially now that I'm not racing, like I need that adrenaline. I need to push myself to that point of being so tired or like, I, oh, I don't know if I can do another lap, but I, and I feel like I still, I still chase that a bit. I, I don't want to race. I don't need that so much or anything like that, but I do enjoy the suffering and, and then find yourself a little bit better or checking off a checklist. Like for instance, I wanted to do a marathon and it doesn't like, didn't matter. Like I'm not a race or anything. I just want to say, Hey, I'm going to run 26 miles. I remember it was COVID last year when it started, we really weren't working. So I was like, I made a route and I'm like, and I, at that point I'd, I'd ran 13, but nothing over that ever. And I'm like, I'm just going to go make it happen. Like woke up, had some breakfast, took off and ran to Temecula from Lake Elsinore and ended up having one of my old buddies, um, actually my old mechanic picked me up. I said, Hey, I'm at Starbucks. Like, come grab me. I'm getting a water. <laughs> you drive me home. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, man, that's so sick. Like that's definitely something that, um, I didn't have when I was young at all. Like, not until four years ago when I started jiu-jitsu. Like, for whatever reason, man. I mean, actually, I'd done a couple of things uh, when I was younger that um, we had a Mick, Mick Hanna. He, he's like a downhill dude um, from yeah. Cairns. He lived, uh, him and his sister Tracy, they were like a couple doors down from us. We, we just, we didn't have that much shit as a kid um, in terms of like, ro- we didn't have a road cycle. We didn't have like any of that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, I remember that uh, their dad he used to do this 80 kilometer cycle up a range like a mountain range every single day and it was no joke man it was like tour de france style climb like up to the tablelands and um i was like 15 and i just said to him like do you reckon i could do that and he's like no i definitely don't think you could do that and he gave me uh one of mix road cycles one day and i just said like i'll take off behind you and then but you don't like don't wait for me like you just go and i'll bring the bike back whenever i get it done and um this is how fucking noob i was like i had no idea i actually didn't when i got to the climb it was on the heaviest chain ring on the front so i didn't even know how to like i didn't even <laughs> know how to use the front derailleur yeah. so i did this cycle and i was like in the in the like out of the seat the whole time like up this fucking thing I ended up getting maybe like 15 kilometers from home. I threw up everywhere. I laid down on the side of the road and then I got home and I laid in the pool for like two hours. Like I just destroyed myself to do it. So there was like one or two occasions in my life where I like went to that place as a kid. But for whatever reason, like that just didn't really stick. But I found myself going to that place in my work so I could just do these like... You know how Wes, you know how hard Wes works, right? Like you've been 100%. around that crew enough. So I, I think that maybe in from my side, it kind of developed a little bit in terms of like the work ethic. And then I think even with the podcast, like with the volume of clips, like I developed that by working um, with Wes. 
So I started to experience that. But anyway, four and a bit years ago when I started jujitsu, something clicked in me to where like I that feeling that you're explaining, like I wanted that. Like I really wanted to go and have like these fucking wars with people and people that were way better than me and just completely fucking me up. And then I wanted to compete and I didn't have any of that. Like when I started jujitsu, I didn't even know that people did competitions. I thought there was like professional, but that was it, you know? So there is some kind of switch that can happen in you. And I've, I've kind of related the experience and I've spoke about it on here a bunch, but you actually lose the sense of self. And I think that's what the mm-hmm. that's what the pleasure in it is is the fact that you go blank. Like when I do jujitsu, I'm not there yes. anymore. And people know, like they I got friends that um they they like that I train with. They're like, you'll go black. Like you're not the same dude anymore. And it's like it's a five minute window or a seven minute window or however long that sparring is where I'm fucking out of there and for whatever reason like I want all the smoke while I'm in that place and then you come out of it and you just feel there's just a different feeling that you get so like what is your version of that like you want to suffer and you want to feel that pain like where does the self go for you exactly what you said I mean I think I think we all chase those endorphins there's something about when you are at that level of it's not death but i mean when your heart rate's at 195 or you know riding and stuff like that you 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 chase that feeling and i I remember it pretty you know pretty good from a boot camp we did one year um where it started to kind of register to me because i had this attitude of like well 100 miles on a road bike to me what's that going to help me on the dirt bike that we don't we don't ride the tour de france we, we're not mm. we're endurance athletes but not that level so my brain was always kind of fighting it right in a sense to where where's the benefit like can i find it do i see the benefit no i didn't and i was pretty young um but at the time then when it clicked to me we were up this last climb so it was my trainer ryan um trainer sandy as well and then her husband robert but robert and ryan were with me and we were doing this this long ride it was 10,000 feet of climbing and 100 miles so I mean that was that's a big that's a big day especially for at that point that I, I don't know how my, my longest ride was yeah it's it's ridiculous right and I mean we made lots of stops and we timed it out but the last four miles was two miles paved two miles dirt to their house and it's a climb like a, a gnarly climb and it, it didn't even matter it could have been a one percent grade at that point I was so shot it didn't matter but I remember going up that and being like looking I mean, literally like there's a canyon to your left it was a fire road and you know your brain goes dude i'd rather ride off that right now than finish this and then when you get to the top there's like this check mark right of like i said all the endorphins start flowing and then you did what you were supposed to do like for me it's hitting that check mark when i have a goal and i achieve it it's like i don't know what that is in it and i suffered to get there and i earned it and then you know whatever whatever i don't know i really don't know how to put it into words it's so tough but I know every time I did that, it was so satisfying and I couldn't figure that out. And now listening to Rogan and and Rhonda Patrick and all these endorphins and then you chase them and then like, she's telling you like, you can get the same stuff out of cold showers so that I'm waking up taking cold showers in the morning. And I'm like, dude, she's right. Like it's the same kind of challenge. I don't know. Whatever it is to your body, it's mentally tough. And I, I, I really thrive off that stuff and reading the books about mentally tough. And then you see a guy like Tom Brady that 
is 45 years old or how I'm not exactly sure, but he plays like he's 30. He looks like he's 20. Like, yeah. that's what I want to be like. I aspire to be like that. Like that's, that's such a goal for everybody. Like, how can you still be that good? How can you still be at the very top? Like I won one title, you know? And it's like, how do you keep winning eight? How are you Dunge? How are you Villapoto? How are you Stewart? How are you Ricky? How are you, you know, Jeremy? It's like, it's so gnarly. And I, and I hope to just, I hope honestly, I can just help people ch- chase that and achieve it. Man, the um, the there's a place to as well. Um, do you, do you do any meditation at all? Starting to a little bit with the amount of yoga I've been doing, especially for my body's a little bit wrecked, and obviously the guys need it as well. So for me, I'm starting to really not be my punk self, where it's like that stupid. I, I actually starting to really enjoy it. So I've put I put in about so like my route like my schedule. I do two sessions i do one session a day obligatory like there's no ifs buts or maybes i'll do it once a day for 10 minutes i got an app that i use um most days i do it twice so it's about 20 minutes a day i mean I, I, it's about fuck, it works out to be about 65 hours a year i put into meditation and it's the same thing like what you're talking about of um the that feeling that you get what i've equated it to um and it's been through this podcast which is so cool like i you know i go on back a bunch of episodes and i can hear in me talking to robbie madison about like why do we ride why do you do that what is it about the moment and there's this one with uh this point in travis's podcast where i'm like is it like this the moment that you jump out of that plane with no parachute it's like a split second where it's like the voices are gone the noise is gone the conversation in your head everything's gone and then you're just doing it and i we kind of i've been having this discourse with people and and then i started to like really consistently meditate and what you're finding or for me anyway what i find is is that those peak experiences and the, those endorphins that you're talking about i think that they more so come from uh the like a surrender of the conversation in your head like to get these things done the conversation in your head has to stop and the self is it's that pure conversation freedom. exactly like you're just experience and it doesn't matter yeah. what you're doing so like to the, the jiu-jitsu analogy is like i'm not there like it's not me it's not the yeah. convers what i would call me it's not the conversation in my head i'm not relating that experience back to myself i'm not commenting on the experience i'm not saying fuck this is so hard i want to give up how long is the time i got fuck this guy smashed it's gone everything's silent and i think that to surrender to a cold shower the voice has to stop you can't tell yourself that it's cold you can't wonder when that you just it's all about surrender and i think that that is where the ego completely goes away and you're just having the experience and i think that uh now with so before in my life like i have been obsessed with riding dirt bikes obsessed i'm not that good but there's something about it that since i was four years old whenever my life's shitty whenever i'm having a bad day when any of that um, the riding I wanted to go riding and I would I'd go riding to a point where it would kind of like affect my life you know like when I was like 17 18 and I was like time to get a job and be an adult like my life wasn't that good so I just wanted to ride like that was my escape and it's because that voice goes away like you are free you're free of yourself yeah and uh and now you know to kind of have that insight um 
into sort of the meditation side of things it's like oh you actually don't need a bicycle you don't need jujitsu you don't need a cold shower you just need this insight and you sit down and it helps if it's guided like through an app or whatever and there's periods i'd say like in the 10 minutes of meditation there's probably three minutes of that feeling of just that full freedom but that three minutes is enough to just like completely change your life if you get that three minutes a day where you know you'll spend the first seven like sort of trying in a way and then bang you're there and then it just sets it up and i think that then the the 10 minutes a day is like a practice to just put that into your life so now when i ride moto like i'm trying to force myself into that zone i'm like instantly i'm like cool the convo stops here there's no more need for this conversation i'm just gonna ride the fucking bike and i think that you probably experience that cycling when it's like cool the convo fucking stops like i i know i can beat whatever that voice is that's telling me exactly like you said actually about well this doesn't really pertain to racing i don't really need to do 100 miles well you're you're doing doing anything you can to talk yourself out of it right where you're like how can i not do it because it's hard no one no one in their right mind wants to do something that's hard or if there's an easier path everyone would nine times out of ten you're going to take the easier one but it's it's not the right one and like what you're just saying like it's funny, dude. If I throw on a podcast and I can go ride my bike for hours and I'm, I'm out, I'm completely out and yep. I'm enjoying every second. And, and I've, and I've honestly absorbed every second of that podcast where with I'm driving, I'm not because I'm thinking I'm driving I'm trying, you know, whatever I'm maneuvering. I know I'm on a bicycle and I'm with cars and stuff, but I'm able, I can shut off. It's like full autopilot. And so did you get that riding? Um, certain times. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know, I mean, I didn't win a lot, but both, uh, both those races, I, there wasn't a thought that ever went in my head. Not one. It was like the most free I've ever been in my life. I whole shot, I'm out front and just all I kept thinking, the only thing that ever came through my brain was calm. And it, and it was, it was honestly scary how easy it was. You know, I had 50 races before that, that I tried a lot harder, probably rode better too. And it just, it's one of those things where you click and it's, that's something you'll chase forever. Like that feeling, like, I don't know, that's, that's stronger than any drug. <laughs> like a hundred percent, dude. Like I'm, I just, when I left there that night, I'm like that, that high, that feeling, like never felt it ever. Yeah. Well, I think in my opinion now, I think that what is happening is you are just experiencing experience. Like you're a conscious person and part of being conscious is the ability, well, the definition of being conscious is the ability to relate your experience to yourself. So then that creates an experience and an experiencer, essentially. But that's not actually yeah. what's happening in the world. Like all that's happening is you are having an experience. So the experiencer of experience is something that is created in the mind. And then I think that's a super necessary thing um, because you can forward plan and you can think about your life and you can think about mistakes and like you can use that. um, And that's probably the thing that has propelled humanity forward in the way that it has. But that's also it. And this is to get into like kind of Buddhism and shit like that is that that is what creates suffering. And so when you can get to those places where uh, you are the experiencer experiencing the experience is gone and it's just experience which is probably what you felt winning those races is just like you just purely experienced 
and that is what people call being in the moment and i think i mean it's been the biggest thing in the last like few years of my life with i guess this train of thought is how do i have how do i just experience so every training session i do every night when i'm stretching or you know obviously meditation you're kind of going there for that but even in the podcast man i'm like people always say like how do you do it for three hours i'm like it's just an experience i'm just sitting there yeah having the experience like what is time if you don't think about it what is the other things that you've got to do later in the day if you don't think about them you know no and it's funny because i've really tried to be better at that like you know a bill comes in i've got to write it right then and get it done right then where i'm trying to be not like i said i'm not paying my bills but you know what i'm saying like the the yeah. urgency on it like chill it can be a day or two or if we're not perfectly on time which i i'm very anti-tardy but if i'm not on time i'm very not okay with that but i'm trying to relinquish that a little bit to where you still have to live right like what you're saying like time's time we'll get it done no matter what at the end of the day and i'm trying to be a little bit more okay like everything's okay but let's figure it out like no is that the best you've ridden probably not but how can we make it better because sitting over here dwelling and poor me what the fuck's that gonna do for you nothing so let's go back let's that's already done with it's in the past we, we this isn't a dvd we can't go back in time so let's move forward and be the best self we can from now forward so I'm really trying hard with that and not that I had an issue but it's like yeah I'm trying to be it's like not so just stressed at every single thing yeah just it's okay like or we're five minutes late oh well we have plenty of time what's the hurry where, where are we where do we have to be right now nowhere it's okay you know so the more I'm trying to and honestly my fiance's helping me with that a lot like chill it's okay if you want to sleep in today that's okay because I'm like okay if I'm not up at six like I've already my day's ruined you know and I'm why it's not ruined it's okay it's so uh it's so cool to i mean it's one of the reasons i've always liked you is i've always found you to just be a guy that's like always just trying to get better and it's not at just riding it's not at just training you just seem like the kind of guy that is always just developing and there's no that i think the thing it's cool that you said you, you look up at these like older guys that it's like they're 50 and you know like getting into their 50s late 40s and it's like you still want to progress and i think that's probably going to be one of the hallmarks of our generation is that i mean not for everybody but i mean like my dad raced his whole life and he was super into it but like fitness isn't a part of his life meditation isn't a part of his life yoga is not a part of his life right and it's like he had that he, he had that point in his life where it was like ah oh, cool now i'm an adult now i'm grown up now it's just about these other things you know i'm not sure like his priorities were probably purely family based and then along the, the way it's like he probably was just giving to more people than himself um and then that became like the i guess like a pattern uh in his life and there's probably you know there's a lot of things that he could uh personally you know like health and fitness and and things like that but i think that our generation like you've done racing but it's like you're not stopping the development it's like yeah the racing stopped but the progression of will Hahn is still going and it's probably not going to stop and i think that is a different mindset to our generation no it is and i, I, I love that because and it kind of sucks right where i feel like i've almost learned more now riding 
not riding. Oh, for sure, like I've dude. watched so many guys. You know what I mean? It's like, it's basically like watching the best how-to tapes you can. Because I've been around the, the best these last few years, you know, between AP and Dylan and Justin Cooper and Colt Nichols and Cooper Webb. And, like, you're around all these guys and you're watching them. And not only those guys that was at the test track with me, then on the weekends I'm with the best. And I'm watching the best. And I'm trying to keep an eye on those guys because, hey, if I watch Kenny do something badass, I'm probably going to tell our guys, like, hey, that line was sick. You guys can do it too or whatever the case. But now when I go ride, I feel like my technique's better than it ever was. I feel like my awareness is probably better than it ever was part of that's from rest and recovery and etc from now on but i really feel like i was able to apply more now than i ever did racing and it and it does kind of suck in a way but at the same time i'm like this i mean if i knew what i knew now then things would have been different but then that's fine but that's it's also like cool growing up like that and realizing that i remember going back I, i got sent a photo i was testing one day and i got sent a photo and i sent it to my trainer and it was like everything that we had worked on it was finally there like my head's up I'm looking ahead I'm already looking at the next rut on the other corner as I'm going through this rut my elbows are perfect my legs perfect body positions like clean and he goes guess you just had to retire to get good you know (laughs) I'm like yeah I know I know it's it's stupid you know I'm like this everything finally came together it's just four years too late (laughs) you know but it's it's badass now like looking at that shit and, and then like like I said, I really feel like that's overlooked too. Like you look at it, like, why don't you watch more races? You can learn a hell of a lot how to ride by just watching. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. I could not agree more, but there's, uh, there's just something about taking that pro like you've found a way to like that process of development and learning. Like you've still found a way to implement that, um, into you know your work so it's like obviously the racing side of it um has finished up but the progression is still there and then there is still an outlet for your progression so like you're progressing as a human still and then it might not go into your racing but like look at the fucking racing that that's gone into on you know multiple other people like the butterfly effect of you getting better as a person has had a pretty dramatic impact on the lives of a lot of other people no and i love it man like it's it's funny like i i didn't think that it would feel like anything like watching someone else win because you know you're you're a part of it but it's it's small Mm. you know everyone has their percentage pie or whatever whatever it is of helping that person right and um i would say they're all probably somewhat equal and then it comes down to them applying all their goals staying to the training staying to the, the diet everything like that but when the first time I saw someone else win that I was a part of, I had that feeling of the same, the night when I won. And it was like, I got a taste of it. Was it all of it? No, it'll never be when for yourself, it'll never give that same feeling, but it was damn close, man. And it was, that was all I needed. I'm like, this is awesome. Like you got to help him. Yeah. You were a small part of it, but you were enough of it that I got enough out of it to where it made things easy. Hmm yeah man it must be super cool i mean i felt a little bit of it um even with the jdr team you know like matt moss got on the podium um the first time that he did it in san diego and you know it was so hard for that team to do well like everyone come from australia and it was so last minute so brand new like mossy probably wasn't supposed to get on the podium so yeah i mean i definitely could see how that feeling would be it would still be special even though it's not you on the bike yourself no totally and i think that that's that goes back to like i guess being happy that 
I was happy with my career. So now this is the second best thing to it, right? Like, no, I can't race anymore. I'll never race at that level again. And, and I'm okay with it. But this is the, the next best thing now is like, you know, I'm with Justin and Pierce and Michael and it's, I'm seeing those moments and seeing those flashes and that like they can do it. And, and if I can help, like I said, again, it's back to the beginning. Like if I can help 1%, that's, that's, that's all I need. Like, and then I'm happy. So when you won your championship, what did it take? Like, it, it's cool to be a guy that's won a championship because you can speak on what it takes to win a championship. Like, what does it take at the level that you guys are at to just win one championship? And what did you have to learn before you could do it? Uh, I think number one was putting the ego aside. Like, I had hurt myself two years in a row, basically, because... Uh, I maybe was too ready and I don't mean like I was better than everybody else I came in with too much prep and at the first practice session I'm a second and a half faster than everybody and then get almost what year was that almost 11 and it was it was I think I was there for that race I think I was there probably yeah yeah was was that on Geico yeah first year at Geico and like I had changed my diet that that offseason yeah, I probably if I headed on someone in practice, killed them because I skimmed the whoops too fast, couldn't stop for the berm, so I jumped the berm, didn't think no big deal, but I hit Topher Ingles head on and broke my hand. So you're like, awesome. And that, that, that didn't even phase me. I was so, I felt so unstoppable or like, I don't know, I felt like I could do no wrong. Like I broke my hand and I went back to the truck and I'm like, no big deal, we'll get through the first five rounds, I'll keep it on the podium and we'll win the last couple. It's no big deal. I don't even, like, like everyone was stressing and I'm like, why are you stressing? Like, I'm fine. And I and my brain didn't even register it. Like my hand, like I said, my hand was broken. Like, but I'm gonna go race. Like, and I'm like, never even, never even thought about it in my brain. And go out, tuck the front in the corner, easy crash, break my back. Then you're like, why? You know? And I like, I had changed everything that all season. Like, trainer, we trained the whole diet, changed changed the way we were training. We were riding way different. Like, everything had come together. And for the first time, I had a six pack. It was like literally, like I'm like, dude, I'm doing the right shit. Like, this is perfect. And not that we weren't, it just didn't work. And I think it was like maybe the excitement and almost not realizing that this is still reality. You're still human. You can crash. Like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't know if the off season just went that good for me or whatever it was. But I know right after that, I was like, you've got to start figuring it out. Like you've got it. You've got to stay healthy for one. If you don't stay healthy, you're never going to win. And, um, between my trainer and my mechanic at the time, um, the goal was in 12 was to do every outdoor. We're going to get points in every moto. We don't care how you do, but you've got to stay healthy because that's how you build the foundation for your off season. Do a good off season. Then you go into supercross. You're going to be ready without the racing. You're not going to be ready. So we did that. And I think I got, I got points in every moto except for one by about half a tire at Southwick. I had crashed three times. The first lap and my front brake was locking up. I got 21st by half a bike. So I almost completed the goal, but it was good enough still that it gave me that successful off season. And going into 13, I knew I was going to be calm. I was going to rely on my fitness. I haven't raced much supercross in two years, but I was like, that's to me, it was, I was good at that. So I wasn't like stressed about that, but also I was like, I haven't raced a lot. I'm going to be racing Dean and Marvin and those guys, and they're going to be strong. And I don't know. I felt this sense of calmness after the first round. I got third, and I didn't want to get third. Like I mean, I wanted to win, but especially in Dallas in front of family and friends and stuff. But at the time, I felt this like I never started the season on the podium. Um, never had felt that good on a bike. The team was awesome, and it 
it honestly just clicked to me. We're like, we're just going to, we're going to hammer this thing out. Like, I'm not going to basically, I don't know. It's like the sense of this underdog. Like I loved being the underdog and I loved being able to, I guess, prove people wrong. Like, and I wasn't supposed to win and I'm like, let's, we got to do it. We got to do it. Did you feel like your body was a bit of a disadvantage? Cause I, I, you're not like a naturally athletic dude. Like even, you know, you fucking no. years into your career without a six pack. So it's like you, you probably do have to battle quite a bit harder than a lot of other people just purely based on genetics. It doesn't get spoken a lot about in motocross. No, and it's funny, and like the, the first thing, if anybody sees someone with a shirt off that doesn't have a six-pack, it's like, well, that guy's out of shape. Which, yeah. dude, go get top five at an outdoor national and tell me that guy's not fit because he has a little bit of a beer belly. Like he's he's not unfit. Yeah, he could he be better, and the diet for sure could probably be better. Whatever the case with him, or purely like you said, genetics. Like it's very very hard for me to to get a six-pack and be lean. Like I'll do same thing the next guy beside me does that has an eight-pack, and same eating it wouldn't matter. But with that said, yeah, I know it's it's gnarly, and then and then overcoming that in a way, and yeah, I'm I'm little, I'm tiny. It's hard to build muscle. Um, it's really easy to gain weight though. So like for me, it was, was always kind of finding that balance of not being like a little bit chunky, you know, and then trying to build muscle. And then we were able to figure that out with just honestly, it just took a lot of hard work. Yeah. Did you, were you around guys like who's probably the best athlete you've seen at like just in your career blanket statement? <sighs> that, you know, can like pick up anything and he's just good at it. Well, just or even you just, mean just purely like just like an athlete you know like if you're talking about the nfl and you're like the combine like yeah. in motocross like who's putting down the gnarliest combine and this is Dude, that's tough that you've been around i would it'd be tough man I, I would i would have to throw like a johnny o in there like that dude has always been a product of fitness um as far as those guys go i mean look at dunge dude that dude's ripped he always has been he's always been a savage since we were 14 he was already he was working harder than everybody else and he didn't I don't think he even knew it um he just knew he had to work harder than everybody else to get to the level he wanted to be at and you know sometimes that clicks earlier than than most and and sometimes it doesn't but yeah dude i mean i, I kind of look at dunge as that guy you think I kind of do, yeah. Like I just feel like he's always like when I when I think fitness, I've always thought Dunge. That's cool. I wonder. I wonder if he is the best natural athlete, or if he's the kind of guy that's just got like the right combination between genetics and just gnarly motherfucker. I think it's both. I think yeah. I think he has obviously clean genetics, but it also. I mean, you can't be. Like I said, like a Tom Brady or like a guy at his level that wins that much and not have that grit. You got to be able to mm. find yourself in that hole and just dig, dude. Like I, if you don't have that, you're never going to make it in this. Yeah, no, dude, totally. I look at like Kenny. I mean, I've, I've been friends with Kenny since he was 16. And dude, fucking specimen. And Kenny's dad, fucking specimen. Like for me, I reckon probably the gnarliest athlete that i've been around in motocross was probably was probably kenny um and dude like another gnarly motherfucker is malcolm like oh there's no doubt about that i've seen malcolm hit the ground 
so hard and it just not affect him at all. Like he had massive crashes <laughs> while I was with JDR and like I don't think he ever had an injury. And I mean, he probably doesn't have like the bet. Well, dude, he really didn't train. Like, not that I saw. I mean, he maybe done some sneaky shit, right. but like, he didn't train. So as as far as like a natural athlete as well, like, god damn, that dude. If 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 he, but I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? Is like you can't have, you can't just have both all the time. But like, imagine if Malcolm went dunge. Oh, I know. You wouldn't touch him. That'd be scary, dude. Yeah. Yeah, what you would build out of that, like what superhuman you would build out of that. That's ridiculous. Especially on like a 450, dude. Like he would just oh, yeah. destroy that shit. Well, and I've always wondered that. Like when you see guys, you know, crash like that and I'm like, no chance I get up from that. Like, yeah, I walk no. off, but something's broken. And then you're like, well, they're back on the bike. Oh, he's back in fifth. And you're like, What? How? How? How in the hell are you okay? There, there was this one crash that James had one day at the Ponderosa. And he, uh, it was like a big single onto like a sandy straightaway. And he fucking ragdolled. Like, James never goes slow. So, obviously, you can imagine the kind of crash that you're going to have uh, when James Stewart's going as fast as James Stewart goes. And man, this Suzuki RM450, fucking end for end for an entire straightaway. And he ragdolled. And he just got up, pushed his bike back. And then he was like, oh, well, that's me done for the day. And then he just drove home and played golf. I was just like, bro, what are you actually made of? Literally. Is it rubber or is it just iron? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's so gnarly, dude, eh? But yeah, I mean, there, there is... Uh, for a guy like you, I think it makes it even like more impressive. And I think that's probably one of just the cool things about Moto is that it's not really the super athletes that, that win because it seems like, yeah, the fitness component of it is massive, but our sport can, like if anyone in our sport can reach the levels of fitness required to do two 30-minute Motos, but it's like not everybody can work ethic can't get you in the nba work ethic can't get you in the nfl i mean I'm, i i guess quarterback position you could maybe make the argument um tom brady's not exactly an athlete but i mean dude to have an arm to throw a football like that far um but motocross is one of those sports where i think any human could get to the level i mean within reason i mean probably not midgets and shit like you're probably getting close to that but <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, right on, I'm right on the fine edge <laughs> yeah you're on the cusp <laughs> yeah barely over the height requirement to be on this ride <laughs> but yeah it's like that maybe is one of the coolest things about moto right no when you think about it i mean look you got guys like weston pike benny bloss you got guys like me and the martin brothers like we're not big but they've all been successful weston was very successful benny was very successful we were all successful it's like pretty much of all weight size builds i mean there's been success stories in about all of them yeah yeah no it is true man the martin brothers <laughs> that's a fucking, they're so sick that that's a level bro that's a fucking level yeah no doubt about it not that, that respect for those two. The, like they're so cool and they work so hard dude yeah i mean i've told this story before 
but it was after Millville National. I actually think I fucked the story up. It might have been Monday, not Sunday. Uh, there was heaps of people commenting, being like, well, that's fucking stupid if they're riding Sunday after National. I probably fucked it up. It was probably Monday. It was a long time ago. But regardless, they left the track. They didn't water it. It was right after Millville National. Hot as absolute fuck. And those boys went out and jesus dude like they broke everybody that was there and there were other factory riders that were there and they broke those motherfuckers like visibly broke them no i the grit like i said it if you don't have that dig deep mentality not only we won't make it you're just not gonna make it very far and like those two are another example of like midwest boys probably not supposed to do much and they did look how successful they are i mean alex is still going he's my age you know and it's like this kid's still doing awesome he's still making a living doing it like props it's awesome i respect the hell out of both of them they've always and like i said i think because it's a little bit of a mutual respect we both had to work probably harder than most to get to that level not because of our size just our size you know where we came from but we're kind of underdogs we're from the midwest where you don't hear from us for six months because of the winter and all, all that all the above and it's it's just always cool to see that yeah man no it, it is it is cool to see and it, it is such like a great example i guess to um like the youth in the or like coming up in the game is that like you like you can be a professional motocross racer based on how hard you work yeah 100 percent. so with that and like, i feel thing, that about anything but i feel like that was about anything but like you said earlier like i could never play nba or or yeah. nfl like hey i'm gonna get i'm gonna get wrecked if i do get the ball ever and then same with basketball i'm just gonna get swatted right away so it's like i mean what's the point you know but i get it like i, I do believe in that mentality but yeah there's certain like i said height requirements not gonna meet <laughs> um so while we're kind of touched on that the amateur thing um you weren't you weren't at loretta's this year no yeah, but you've you've been there quite a bit. Obviously, Star's got like a pretty gnarly yeah. amateur program. What's your thoughts on the direction of amateurs and the way that it's kind of gone in the last few years? Because especially coming off list, like we just did the Cody Shock podcast, and that kid did not have the amateur career that a standard uh, kid would have, and he's running top ten in the four fifty class outdoors right now. And it's like I listened to that story with him and it's like it came without all of these pressures, without any of the money, without any of the um, this kind of more quote-unquote like standard route. And man, like it was just so cool listening to him talk about the way that he brought up. And I thought about, you know, you add in like all the money and the pressure and the prestige and the, the way that a lot of these kind of like top kids are, are fed out of that system – and I'm just like, man, I feel like these kids aren't learning the same lessons in life that, that Cody did. So, I mean, based on your assessment of, like, Guayco and Star, who obviously have, like, crazy amateur programs, like, what do you think about that whole deal these days? Are we doing the right thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're doing what we have to. You know, I think that that's at the end of the day, I think you, you kind of have to have a horse in the race. And I think all the teams are kind of to blame if you want to blame someone for what's going on. But if one pulls out, the other one will step up. So it's it's one of those mm-hmm. things where you, you kind of have to. Right. But with that said, yeah, I think you lose some of the 
figure it out on your own type of stuff and how bad do you want it on your own because i mean really they don't have to do much on their own you know that the trainers there the bikes there the mechanics there i mean things are pretty much figured out for you i mean and the one advice i could just have to go back like that if i have a regret in my career it was those last two years of the a class at loretta is like not enjoying one second because of the pressure that i had to do i had to win or i wasn't going to make it as a pro like how I was taught was, you know, it wasn't from my parents or anything, but you hear everything at the races. If you don't win the redders, they're not going to give you a ride. Why would they? You can't handle the pressure here. You're never going to hack it at the top level. And I never did it. And I remember leaving there my last year so bummed. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I know I'd had, I had a ride, but I just felt like I had basically failed. You know, I've already failed before I even went pro. And it was like, you know, I didn't enjoy those last two years with my parents before it turned into a legitimate job um, where I should have just, these are the last moments I'm going to have with these guys, you know, as a family. Yeah, they're going to come to my races, and I get that, but it's, you know, it's different than once you go pro. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I do think that some of those things they need to find out on their own and not have, you know, everything catered at all times. You know, I think that that is something that's missing. And, you know, I watch Cody ride out here all the time, and I love watching him. I feel like that guy works harder than most of the guys that he's racing you know i see him one of the first ones at paul and the last ones to leave that doesn't go unnoticed like and he has a sick style rides good and he's doing awesome on a privateer bike like how how do you not root for a guy like that yeah and i think that there's like i mean the thing you you're so right like the caveat to this conversation like everything from here is just uh like fucking contention you know what i mean but the caveat for the conversation is like what do you what else are you gonna do are you gonna be star racing and not get the best amateur kid are you gonna be a geico and not get like okay they have to do that so you are right but it's like i think we're missing something and you know there's a the sport will go a direction right and it's like there's got to be you know it's like the constitution's underwritten by freedom you know so it's like at what point do we have to make a decision with like these kids and say like okay all these decisions have to be underwritten with like these values in place and these values can't be stepped over uh for the reward of winning a title at the end it's like these are kids that um that we need to turn into really good people and i mean it was one of the things what when i had brian deegan on the podcast like we were talking about you know like what would you do and i was like man make a fucking badass human don't make the most badass dirt bike rider make the most badass human that you can because all the people that i know that are fucking gnarly successful people are the dopest humans like they have got so much figured out internally there's so much control over the self and the way that you kind of spoke about like you can quiet the voices you can put in the work you can you know all of these things come from like the work that you do a base level being a person so i mean obviously yeah there's a element to this where it's like star racing has to get the best guys geico you know ktm there has to be that but it's like are is there like a win at all cost mentality and is it hurting these guys like are there guys that you've seen that have come out of this program that like they got kind of fucked by it in a way i mean i think you see that i think you see that yearly and that's just some of the guys that they either needed another year a or one more year pro to figure it out and they probably are going to do what you want but you know it's a business at the end of the day and it sucks 
and I, I don't like it. I, and I was a product of it. I got thrown to the wolves too, and then wasn't good enough. And then you're searching, like I said, walking around and asking for a ride. And that's just reality. Um, and does it make it okay? No, not really. I, I think, I think the biggest thing is it's like anything at that age, you want it now. And like, I got to go now. I got to go now. Well, once you go, there's no going back. Like be ready for that jump. And you might be jet. You might be 16 when it's time. You might be myself or, you know, Levi kitchen. You might be 20 years old. There's no wrong anymore. It used to be, you had to be 16 or your career shit. It doesn't matter. Look at Justin Cooper. I think he was 19 or 20 when he went pro. And look how awesome mm. he is as a rider. He's very put together. He's extremely mature. He's extremely consistent. Has been since the day he went pro. But that's a lot of its maturity. Bodies, you know, fully developed, all that stuff. I mean, yeah, a lot of these kids come out at 16. Look at Adam. He was 16 and he was winning every Supercross, but as soon as he crashed, his shoulder's, you know, done. But you're not developed. You're going through puberty. You're trying to figure out who I am as a man even and just starting to use deodorant. It's like, you know what I mean? Like... Some of this stuff, I feel like you can almost rewind a little bit, but that's natural as a human. Like we we're just talking about the bills. Like if I don't pay it right when it comes in the mailbox, I failed. Well, it's the same thing. If I don't go pro right when everyone expects me to, have I failed? No, you haven't. And every pass going to be different. And yeah, I would have liked to have gone pro at 16 and been jet. Hell yeah, I would have loved to have been that guy. But was there's no shot in hell that I was ready for it. Like if I would have went pro at 16, I would have been done in one year and been tossed back. Like, no, go to work because you're not going to hack it. And that's reality and that's okay. But everyone, like I said, everyone matures at a different level. And a lot of that speaks from him going to Europe, experiencing that culture. He's basically, you know, 16 or 17 year old, but he's actually 25. His experience levels of yeah. a 25 year old over here because he's seen so much. He's eaten so much different food, had to be accustomed to different time zones at such a young age. You've experienced that. Like I grew more as a person when I started traveling the country or, you know, not mm -hmm. just the country, you know, the, the world. Like as soon as I started getting out of my comfort you know, eating different food and meeting new people and being around and being honestly uncomfortable, not being able to read signs, having to figure it out. Like that's when I grew. And that's when I felt like mm. this is cool, but look, he's done that. At, he's done that at 14 years old. You know, he's he's so experienced. Like I think a, a lot of that. It's not just one certain thing. Obviously, his dad's great and a great aspect. He's guided these guys, so no doubt his program's correct. But I'm just saying, like he's done a lot of things that have added him up to being literally a 25 year old in a 17 year old's body. Yeah, yeah, I know. I totally agree. And I mean, even in the the you know when I was talking to Brian. I was like, dude, if I like, if I was you, don't sign a deal with anybody. Buy some bikes. You got the money. Fucking go race like EMX in Europe. Go do like three rounds. Just rent a motorhome. The family, like you said, like enjoy the shit before you go pro. Like, can you imagine how dope it would be for like a Danger Boy World Tour? Like, goes and buys a bike, goes out, does some EMX races, got goes and does a couple of like big. Um, you know, fuck the world's kind of shut down a little bit now, but it's like there's yeah, stuff that you could do all over the world that would be just like super fun and like meet all these people and go to places where you don't have the full semi and you're just kind of out back and you're just another another dude. Kind of getting hard to be in that territory now at the level of fame that he's already got, but it's like man, the experience that that you get from you know going to those places like you know i mean in my personal experience like driving in belgium weirdest thing in the world like that was a fucking yeah huge learning experience to be in brussels fucking just had someone try and rob all my shit 
and now I'm trying to fucking drive in this place. I got no idea. Look, that's the kind of cool stuff in life that kind of does develop you as a person. Well, it's funny. It honestly reverts back to what we were just talking about suffering. When you make yourself mm. that uncomfortable and yet you can find a sense of uncom- or comfort in that moment, that's really how you learn. And it's so funny because like, I know, you know, David Goggins, I know we're very similar on how like our beliefs of all that stuff are. And like, I've listened to you enough yeah. that we're not far off the same chapter. So, but like being, making yourself comfortable, uncomfortable, that's when you grow, dude. Like as soon as you can make yourself calm down and be okay with the situation, but yet it's probably the most uncomfortable you've ever been in your life, whether that is, yeah, being, unfortunately being robbed or being on a road that you're like, dude, I have no idea where that goes. I can't read it. Do I even know where I'm going? Hell no, but we'll figure it out. And like, I really think that's when you really truly grow as a person. What's been some of those things for you? Like what's been some of the most gnarly suffering that you've gone through in the, the in those respects? Uh, you know, I don't have anything gnarly as far as like, I'm fortunate enough that I've traveled a lot, but never like actually been scared, like actually like, you know, robbed or anything crazy, you know, I'm probably close and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing too bad, more so just my injuries. And then like seeing what I could mm. do, it became like a competition of like, Hey, what can I build myself back to? And I, I never mm. had a doubt like that's what was more weird is like I should have. And it, it but I was like, okay, this is going to be a challenge. And what's the first step I can do to get back to being better. And then how can yeah. I be better when I get back on my bike than I was? Cause now I've lost, you know, 12 races. Now I'm behind these guys, whether you like it or not, there's no catching up. And so I'm like, well, how can I get back to the level I was at at least, you know, I've got to be at least where I was at when I crashed. And I think that that's where I really grew and, um, found that side of me that I was just willing, like I said, to just go deep as long. I had to go to, to make myself back to that point. But with that said, I mean, it came with plenty of those struggles where I was over it or, you know, Mm. abusing some pain meds here and there and doing stuff like that. There's no way you can't like, dude, you get hurt as much as some of us do. It's, it's impossible not to go down that path. And then you're fighting without even really knowing it, probably depressed and, did I really know it? No, no, I've never thought about killing myself. No, I'm not going to act like I know that feeling. Um, but I've been, yeah, miserable, completely miserable and unhappy in my life. But why would I be unhappy? Like, yeah, I got hurt, but there's a hell of a lot of worse things that could have happened. You know, I'm still getting paid, still have a great job, all this shit, but you still find yourself feeling sorry for yourself. And I think once I stopped feeling sorry for myself, that's, that's where I grew from a struggle. Yeah, it's funny, like you're kind of describing Stoic philosophy without describing Stoic philosophy. So there's like a, the the Stoics would believe in, uh, there was like these Stoic gods, but they weren't gods as such, like Zeus and fucking Acropolis and all the shit like that. But they were gods in the form of Tess. And every situation that happened in your life... Um, what the stoics would try and attribute that to a test from these stoic gods and that uh you would basically just be given these situations over and over and over that were tests of your stoic philosophy like how can you just accept these things as challenges and know like the, i think the the key is when you break your back knowing in the moment on the track when your back's fucked and you're feeling all that pain instantly recognized this is a test and I think that, you know, you've probably just inadvertently got that through just the way that your life has kind of gone. But I think that that is super helpful. Like you can look at even shitty people as a test 
you know like the stoic gods mm-hmm. would or stoic philosophers would talk about like even if there is a shitty person that is in front of you that is another test from these gods like your whole life becomes a test of your philosophy um it's like you're kind of describing that mentality without even i guess describing it as such well and it's it 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 all goes hand in hand right where i mean there's nothing you're gonna get out of it by the poor me's or whatever like that where it's like well i mean it sucks there's no doubt about that nothing changes that but like okay well it's time to rebuild like I, i or i was like i got to do something else or i tried to make myself okay i'd be racing right now what can i go do that'll make me happy that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was in competition right now, what can I go do? So I'd go hang out with friends or I would figure out something to do that I could take my mind off of that, like that I'm not there. Like I should be there and don't get me wrong. I, well, I would do anything to be there, but I can't. The reality is I'm not. So how do I make this the best situation possible? Mm. It's funny. I just read this book um, by Walter Tevy. It's called The Hustler. There's like a movie about it. Um, but there's okay. a line in this book and and he says he says brother self-pity is the most played indoor sport <laughs> and i just thought that was so good. it is it is it really is because i mean and that's funny like most of the time you see come off the track well it's the bike well it was this it was that well yeah probably or, or could damn well could have been yeah but could you have been better 100 percent every time all of us could be i think you'll you'll never sleep <laughs> trying to find that next one thing you could be better at even if you're at the top of your game you know there's always one one thing you could have done better that day um but i think it's the ones that learn to just trust it and go with it yeah and i think that i mean you'd probably be able to relate but i mean like obviously with with the injuries and stuff but like i broke my hip last year that was the biggest blessing in disguise you know because i've fucking committed so hard to stretching like harder than i've ever committed in my life and i'd say my jiu-jitsu 30% better just from stretching so it took me a year pretty much like a year to the day to get my hips better to where like I walked into training and one of the boys that I, I hadn't seen in a while was like man how's your hips going and I was like dude I hadn't thought about it in, in a few months but I actually think they're 100% and then that at that moment I just fully had that realization I was like fuck this was awesome like I'm so glad I broke my hip like obviously yeah. i missed so much training and i missed that there was a lot of shit i missed out on but that forced me to go so deep into hip mobility and and stretching and and then that made my jiu-jitsu so much better but to have that realization of man that was actually the best thing that could have happened no and that it's funny there's always a silver lining it's just sometimes it's really hard to find it you know, and I think, yeah. and it might not be right away. It, it might not be something that's just right away either. It's maybe later on down the road where you're like, I honestly always looked at it. Like I wasn't meant to be there for some reason that comes from my mom. Like for whatever moment in time, maybe I would have gotten in this rental car that would have crashed or it doesn't matter. Like there was, there was a reason I wasn't there. And did I get hurt more than I should have? Hell yeah, I did. Would I do it all over again? Yes no doubt about it i would do everything over again and do the same path like would i change a couple things and maybe seat bounce that jump a couple a little bit harder at st louis in 14 hell yeah i would have but (laughs) for the most part you know i would i would have done it all over again because like i said it led me to where i am now and honestly couldn't be happier 
that's so sick man so switching gears a little bit um you start your career at star racing and then uh you kind of move around with geico and things like that and then you do the geico team manager or like team role and then go to star so i guess what was the you said that you didn't even really know that that was going to be a thing that you did like i guess talk about your career of being in those team roles because i mean i i've said it for a while like i think you're probably one of the most underrated guys i feel like that's probably not a thing anymore um you've i feel like we're pretty good these days on knowing you're one of the guys uh in that respect but I guess, yeah, explain that transition and how that all opened up and then how you developed into that role. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it all came at me pretty quick. Like, like I said, Geico had offered me a, a job and, um, when it was time to retire, actually I was, I was in Australia and I was about to go there and race. Um, and Geico wanted to hire me as soon as I got home. And I was like, yeah, I think, you know, at the first I was kind of not sure quite yet. And, my biggest thing for me was to make sure I enjoyed racing when I stopped. I didn't want to stop racing, walking off the track in Atlanta and have any mm. remorse to it or bitterness towards the sport. Like, because I was bitter walking off the track there and not at anybody particular. I was just like, shit, I knew, I knew this was it. I knew I wasn't gonna get a factory ride. Like, okay, I just crashed again, whether it was my fault so or not, what was it doesn't speci- matter. What was the specific scenario in Atlanta? So we came out, I was actually starting to make progress again. I had gotten hurt the year before or whatever, again, rebuilding myself, second year at Cowie. Um, we came off the first turn and then the first rhythm section, I think it was Nicoletti and uh, Andrew Short had hit in the air and I just happened to be yeah, right in the middle yeah. when the bike went flying through. And so yep. then I landed right on my shoulder, break my shoulder blade, um, break my collarbone, dislocate my shoulder. And like I knew, I'm like, yeah, well, it's over here. Like, and I still had just enough for the, where I, I might be able to get rehired here, you know, or, or somewhere if they're not going to take me, maybe I'll get the ride and right. But then, you know, you already know, I'm not ignorant to it. And, and I was honestly walking off there. I'm like, how many more times do I want to get put under the knife? Like, and get put under, like, how good is this for you long-term, et cetera. And so I did a lot of thinking, I actually went to Kevin Windham's. Um, we just went and I had gotten surgery. I went back there for a couple of weeks and, talked to him about a lot of things and vented to him and Dottie and um, then obviously people close around me as well as in my home camp at home and um, yeah just called Geico and I'm like yeah I think um, I'm going to go finish out my Cowie contracts at the time I was still going to ride as many outdoors as I could um, and then we're going to do the MXGP at Glen Helen and that was going to be it and I think a couple weeks went by and then um, Cowie US had called me and said hey um, are you interested in doing the Australian Supercross series? And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, I'm all about it. I'd love to go to Australia. I hadn't been, um, and they were going to support me still here from whatever I needed from the bike here. And then obviously utilize what Troy Carroll and the guys had there. And so I was, like I said, I was all about it. So we committed, started, it was literally went from that week. We were working on outdoor stuff and training until we went back to the Supercross in September. Like it was like, Hey, well, there's no point in you riding the GP or anything here. Like just go to Supercross work. We'll support you. Send all the boys out here every day for you. Get you ready to go. So we did it, and I had honestly the time of my life, dude. Troy it was made it sick, so, huh? made, dude. It made I was so welcome. Everyone was so nice to me. I didn't even win a race, and I felt like I won the championship, dude. Like everyone was so great to me, and it honestly almost made me want to keep racing. 
like if I could have rode for Troy or lived there or whatever, how that would work taxes and visa wise or whatever, I'd really thought about it because he made it, he made my last part of my career so enjoyable. And it felt like I, I fell back in love with it because the two years previously I'd been beat down so much that you do resent it, whether you want to or not. And I left there loving the sport just as much as I did when I got on fifties. I was like, man, this is what it's all about. Every, like I said, everyone was so kind to me. And we had a we had a fucking blast, man. Like I didn't even know they had gentleman Jack and Coke in a bottle that you could go in my golf cart and go get at night. And like that was pretty eye opening <laughs> for me too. And that's a good time. So um, no, I, I honestly like you're I said, living I in a dope better. spot like, too. You're like Hope Island was sick, and like it was. Oh, yeah, dude, it was a good. You, you, the weather was good the whole time you were there. I'm telling you, I literally, and then like getting teamed up with uh Reardon and like Dan and I were like boys and we're training together we're riding together the guys down there at Elevate Fitness was helping me out like I met him at breakfast it was like nothing was planned like I went there with no plans and it was like okay now I got a trainer now I got a riding partner now I got a training partner now I've got a better friend like we knew each other but we weren't like super tight and then all of a sudden now we're tight then he came back and he rode for star now I'm working for star it was like all this it was like meant to be like you're saying there's silver lines to everything and it was like I said I don't know it was so cool to experience all that again more culture that I got to experience the best coffee in the world the best food in the world like Amen. and and like you said being in Hope Island and and like I dude I drove a golf cart to the grocery store to dinner to breakfast to Troy's house like I didn't even really have to get in a truck unless I was going to the dirt bike track so it was like insane all I can say is do not plug your golf cart into the wrong outlet because whoever's apartment that plugged into they were very upset I got a very angry note I didn't know it was specific. Oh, no. I thought it was just free for all for the buggies and it's clearly not. <laughs> so, um, no, that, that was honestly the best thing I did was that. And then, yeah, I came home, started working for Geico and, um, it was funny. I was actually at Dallas Supercross. I went over to talk to Dan and check on him and see how he was doing at star. And, uh, then Bobby asked me, he's like, Hey, we need you over here. And I'm like, well, for, you know, for what? And he explained to me and then eventually he called me and, Next thing I know, yeah, I told Geico about it. And I said, hey, I have this opportunity. And they said that they didn't want to hold me back. Uh, and they supported it. And they said, we'll let you go. Like, here's your, you know, your two weeks. You go finish out the Freestone Amateur National. And then uh, you're done. And that's, and he goes, and we, and I, there was no hard feelings, zero disrespect to anybody. They just didn't want to hold me back and um, said, go learn to be a team manager and go do it, you know. And uh, we did it. And, man, it was, uh, I feel like it blinked and it was five years later. You know, it's crazy really crazy how fast honestly to, to this point right now yeah man crazy ride too and then like the the success of the team as well that you're involved in it just really seemed like there was a a, a real ascension um and you kind of came in at, at the right time what like so riding for star it's so different to when you rode for star um oh yeah but, way different but writing for them and then the five years of a team manager role, like what was different? What did they do in the time between when you rode for them and when you started working as a team manager? Um, I, I think that they, they had a better budget um, and the same drive. Honestly, Bobby and Brad had the same drive that they did now in 08. Um, and I mean, we were, you know, I think That's a good a night. That's a time, huh? yeah dude it was it's crazy and like we were i mean a good day for us was a fifth like that was like basically went in the race then like that was good enough like i mean i was mostly getting 20th and so it's like 
when you think about it, then their mindset never changed off that end goal. It's like we were talking about. It's like you're the underdog, but you're, you literally won't, you can't and won't be denied. Like they were going to claw to the top. Brad and Bob were going to claw to the top no matter what happened. Like they just, they had that, they both had this burning desire in them that they weren't going to be denied, period. That's got to be inspiring to be around those kind of people. No, it it really is, you know, and there's no, no for an answer, no stone unturned. And like I said, you learn a hell of a lot. They taught me a lot, respect the hell out of them always will. And I, and I know it's mutual. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was cool to be around that for sure. So what, what did your role look like when you first got there? And like, did you know what you were getting into? Like, what were those, that first year like for you? Uh, lots of learning and lots of questions, dude. Like, honestly I probably annoyed the absolute hell out of Brad for probably two years um just asking him and I was being his right hand man essentially and and like I said any question I had I went to him because I knew he knew it um and he'd been around forever he'd been at the star since the beginning so um yeah I would just lean on him on anything that I had a question about and there's like I said there's trial and error in anything you know I made mistakes and still do so um yeah it's, it was more so you're just diving so deep into this deep end where, you know, I kind of had a perception of what it was. And I was like, wow, this is gnarly. Like there's a lot on your plate, man. And it's heavy at times. Um, you know, like I said, definitely a lot busier not racing than when you are, you think, you think you're working hard, but, um, yeah, come to the race shop for, for a year. You'll, you'll learn pretty quickly that uh, I'd much rather go to the gym and ride my dirt bike any, any day of the week. <laughs> for sure so what what does the role itself look like like what was your day-to-day involvement uh and then d- does that like kind of change over the years as you get like more adept to being in the team i feel like you just have to on that job it's just wearing as many hats as you can right like it's booking mm-hmm. flights it's ordering parts it's making sure these riders are here for this photo shoot coordinating that then sponsor relations contract negotiations with the riders and sponsors going to the amateur races the same thing over uh, developing you know with the amateur team with the amateur parents being involved with the amateur riders um you know i think up until about two months ago i've had someone living with me on the team since i've been here um, really? so I've always had at least a rider living with me at some point, which and I, and I liked it and, um, helping them learn or get their feet wet out here until they can get on their feet and then move on. Um, or like Romano lived with me when he was 14, you know, so I was basically dad and, and, and his parents, um, they're awesome, man. They always take care of me. Nick still calls me, um, now. And uh, I think they, they respect me a lot for being there for their kid at a young age. And like I said, I wanted him to, same thing as the big brother we were talking about earlier. It's like, don't make the mistakes I made. This is what you do. You know, use your head here and, and grow from there. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a lot of hats, you know, water in the test track. Um, I, there, I, don't, I don't know how to specifically say the exact role, but it was, it's just yeah. making sure that you make, you basically you make everybody to try and be as seamless as their day can possibly be with the exception of the normal bullshit that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense. Like you're basically, you plug yourself in as a guy that's been there and done that on the rider end. And it's almost like you just try and make things as smooth as possible. And you probably knew the things 
that irritated you as a rider or the things that left you wanting a little bit in a team environment as a rider and i think Mm -hmm. too that there's an element of and and this is kind of one of the like things that i would kind of always think about with guys like yourself and tyler keith right is all right roger de costa he's a fucking old man and it's like he's when he was 20 19 that was the 70s (laughs) you know the 60s yeah so it's like it's a it's different like being a young man in 2021 is a fucking lot different than being a young man in 1960 and you know times change the the role of the rider has changed in that time the demands on the rider have changed so i think that you know it was one of the things that you know i'd spoke on it a bunch of times like i think will hahn is one of the most underrated team managers in the game because you've got this guy that like he just did it he was just there he's just been through the same shit he's moved to california from texas he's been through winning championships he's been through this amateur feeder system like there's so much relatability that you bring to the table that not nobody else can tyler definitely can to a point but he didn't have the career that that you had and i think that that level of relatability and then i guess for you to then explain uh, the role that you were kind of playing it's like you just knew what you probably wished you had as a writer and team manager at times yeah and i and i think i got a lot of respect from the writers because you know i'd I'd go training with them too um there's plenty of times where we would go race mountain bikes last year especially during covid when everything we weren't sure when it was going to return to normal um, or if it was going to, or whatever the case. And like seeing that, like I'm down to dig, like, let's go. Like how much harder can you dig? Can you beat me? You know, you should be able to beat me. I'm the manager. I'm not a writer anymore. And, you know, I think they saw that kind of dedication to me and what I was trying to teach them wasn't like trying to beat them. It was trying to show them like, dude, you can, it isn't so much everything that about like all oh, the perfect bike rider, this or that, you still got to be able to dig and want it. Yeah. Yeah, does that that's got to play a bit of a role as well, knowing that you'll go... And it kind of makes sense that you've gone into this trainer role now, is that you're still so actively out there pushing yourself and you can be the example to these guys like that. I mean, I'm sure it's a fucking huge culture shock for a kid like Romano to come and live with this dude that's won championships, the manager at Star, and will just go out and whip his fucking ass around on a cycle bike. Well, it was funny, dude, because that, that kid, uh, he's special, man. Like we took him, his first mountain bike ride was going and climbing 3000 feet. Like we didn't take it. Like it was his first introduction was we'll see at the top, like figure it out, you know? And he was 14. And I look back at that. And when I got home that day, I'm like, dude, if they would have plopped me there at 14, I would have thrown that bike down and walked back to Vaughn's and Starbucks and been having myself a latte waiting on you boys. Because like. screw you first of all i'm not going up that mountain like are you kidding me i've never even rode a mountain bike or hardly at that point so it's yeah it's just he and he dude we waited at the top for a bit started to come down and sure enough he's still chugging along i mean he's pissed he's not happy about it but it was really cool to see that because you're like this kid's got it that's so sick um with, with the the team like when you were there too like that the team really started winning championships right so what uh, what does that change in a team? Like, is there a certain level of momentum that gets gathered, expectations change? Like, 
did you visibly watch the program change as a result of winning uh for sure i, I think it, it changes everyone's demeanor whether you're the manager the mechanic or the rider or the owner um you win enough <laughs> seconds not doesn't feel good and it should I mean, it's still a podium, still a great race. We're still giving the sponsors what they need, what they want. But when you're not on that team and you want to ride for it and they're winning, when you get there, you expect yourself to win without anybody telling you to win or that you have Mm -hmm. to win. It's almost expected. It's like an unspoken thing in a way. And don't get me wrong, it gets said plenty. But I think when you see that, it's no different than wanting to ride for Mitch in in 2005. You know, Mm -hmm. if you went there, you knew you had to perform. It's the same right now. You go there, you're expected a certain, you know, a certain um, threshold of result that you're expected. And yeah, if you don't hack it, unfortunately, that's when you get tossed out. It's crazy, like, to to speak on the Mitch thing. Like, you, you circle back to the amateur thing. Like, Mitch is probably the dude that's committed the hardest to just not pushing the amateur thing um, in the same way. And, dude, the results have you've seen it and you can't really argue with it you know like and it is crazy to think that that's the level at which you need to play now to to have a chance right no and it is and you have to you're you're teaching them what to expect three years before they're even near it you know so Mm. you're trying to make again you're going back to making that transition as seamless as it possibly can be there's always going to be hiccups. There's going to be bumps in the road. But with that said, yeah, you're trying to make this transition to where when they get there, they're already, you know, they know what to do. Well, and plus it doesn't matter. They're already riding with Justin Cooper. They're already riding with Colt Nichols and Jeremy Martin. Like yeah. you can see it day to day. You know where you need to be. So with the, um, I guess the biggest uh, change recently in that program would be they bought the goat farm um, and you know florida living is now the standard for for star was that like two parts of this question i guess was that a big part of you um going with the whole gas gas program um and what do you think that that is going to do for star maybe we'll start with that like what do you think is is that the next step for those guys or is that going to kind of create um like could that even create some barriers where guys just gonna be like i want to ride for star but i don't want to live in tallahassee uh you know i don't i don't know i don't think that'll change um as far as them getting riders i mean they'll make it work one way or another they always have Um, i mean most people don't want to live in california and they've made it work like that so i don't think that'll hinder them at all um i think it was a great decision from the team standpoint i mean own your building own your land out here the rent's so high um don't own it you're putting money into kind of nothing in the future as far as putting assets together for a team. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense on a lot of levels. They're able to change the track how they want it. Um, definitely going to be a lot of work. But, I mean, if anybody's ready for it, they, they can make it happen for sure. Um, I don't yeah. doubt that for a second. And so did that, the timing of that kind of coincide a little bit with you sign into gas gas or do you think that it would have happened regardless just because you were ready for a change um it's really hard for me to say it 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 didn't hurt the decision if that makes sense um i didn't want to leave my fiance's from here her dad lives across the street from me um we're ready to start a family there's lots of things in that that um that tied into the decision and 
honestly, she would have done whatever. She didn't really care, honestly. And I just thought, you know, I don't have family here or Florida. So for me, it's nice having um, what family I do have across the street. Her, Even though it's hers, it's still nice mm. knowing that there's people here that are my family, you know. And um, so that was a big thing. And then honestly, dude, Tyler and Justin ended up being extremely persistent <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense you know Tyler yeah. had been trying for a while and then um you know Justin and I've been friends for a long time and and he just wouldn't take no for an answer so and even we said sort of off air a little bit that um even what year was it at Hangtown like you even got a little bit of encouragement along the way um that maybe like so you never even thought about it until Jeremy even kind of said an idea about being a trainer yeah pretty much and then i had like tk's on the side of the hill watching it was during the moto and he's like hey dude you know who'd make a hell of a trainer and i'm like who and i'm looking around like i don't even know where we're by you know and he's like you (laughs) and i was kind of like like i walked off honestly like is he fucking with me or is he serious like i couldn't really tell like i've known tyler forever and i'm like i didn't know if he was honestly just messing with me or i'm just like hmm and then I honestly just didn't he is much a dry go back to work. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's it's hard to tell when he's see joking how that or being could get serious. Taken like that. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I don't know if he's, like, just fooling with me, like, trying to get in my head, or is he actually being serious? And then, yeah, I mean, he was serious, for sure. And it, But it, I didn't, almost didn't take it seriously because I was like, I didn't see myself in that role. I really didn't, and I don't know why. Huh. Isn't it crazy how an idea can work? Yeah. It, it really and then now being here i'm like dude i'm like geeking out like my got my first dirt bike like what's the next thing what what can we do better tomorrow what 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 can i do what what can be this what's the next best machine that we can add to the gym like it's like i, I can't wait to and then i'm trying stuff first like okay i'm gonna try this gel and then okay oh no that one doesn't work it's i'm too jittery on that one it's like okay it's just it's crazy dude it's it's awesome that's so sick dude yeah i mean it it is like you it's funny you know but you were so good as a team manager like you're so good in that role there's so much success that was generated in that role that it's like there's almost no reason to look left or right and then someone comes along and they plant an idea in your brain and then that idea is just a little seed and then that seed starts to grow and then you kind of look around and, you know, you make the jump into this new role and it's just like, dude, this was the, I can't believe I didn't think of this. No, and, and exactly. I mean, I told my mom that I'm like, at the same time, I'm so flattered to have a second opportunity post racing that has nothing to do with me actually racing. And then something that I, like, I truly do have a passion for it. And not that I didn't before or took advantage of it or didn't appreciate it, but it's, it's just a different feeling right now, like really being in the trenches with the guys and like you were getting so close now. Um, it's just a different feeling. Yeah, man, it must be. It must be super cool to like really land on something that suits you so well. No, it is. And it's, like I said, it's more flattering the fact that for one, these guys are so open and like they're just, they wanted to work with me. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. Like that's, you know, and not the, I mean, I should believe in myself maybe a little bit more than I do and possibly going back to my racing maybe would have been a little bit more successful at most times. But at the same time, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's nothing but flattering and I'm, I'm stoked. So when did the relationship with Justin start? Because so 
for I I had heard for a long time that well basically like since JB got on Gas Gas that like that was a goal was that he wanted you as a trainer. So when did when did that relationship with him start and why is that something that he would have wanted as bad as he did? It's I honestly don't even know how to answer it. Um I mean, we were teammates for a long time at Geico, so we became friends. I was older. He was better than me. So it's like I looked up to him, but he also maybe looked up to me in a way because I was the oldest guy on the team, and I was kind of the one that, you know, I had the driver's license or the rental car or whatever. So it was like I was kind of the older guy. But yet, I mean, I looked up to him. So it was kind of like a mutual respect the whole time in our career. Um, Yeah, he's cleaned me out for sure. He's cleaned everybody out. And, you know, but I never, like, I don't think I ever held it on him enough where he was like, like, I didn't care. Like, he'd come over and say sorry. And I'm like, well, you know, you're an idiot, but we know. I get it. I was probably in the way. You know, <laughs> we'd like, we'd At high five and whatever. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I get it, you know, and I never got mad. And I think that was part of it. And I think we were always good to each other one way or another in our passing or, hey, how's it going? Good luck tonight. See you later. We just had a mutual respect our whole time. And then when he was riding for Yamaha, Dude, I don't know. I think I did a little bit of testing for him, and I think we worked on some starts, and he went to the Reds, and he hole-shotted, and then he won. So it was like nothing planned. It just happened to work in a place where I wasn't kind of tied up that day. We helped him a little bit, and then I helped him a little bit one-on-one. Just I'm talking I mean, it wasn't much. It was a little bit of minute stuff, and I think he enjoyed it, and honestly, so did I. Um, and then that's when it kind of started, and then I, you know, he was like, man, I need you in my corner. I want you in my corner and this and that. And I was just kind of, again, just like Tyler, no different. It was like kind of unsure of myself. Like, nah, you know, I'm, I have a job. I'm okay. And, um, you know, I'm not sure about that. And then, like I said, he didn't stop, dude. And yeah, why exactly he wants me there? I mean, besides the fact that I'm just completely flattered about it, I don't know the exact reason. And I think just because I think he knows, I, I know what, they go through day to day. I know what it, what it feels like at the end of the day at an outdoor national, like how depleted you are, how you feel and on Monday, what to expect. And then if he says he's tired, he knows that I know he's not, you know, BSing me. He, I know that, yeah, he probably is tired, you know, just on four races in a row and, and still practicing and all this stuff. So I think that, yeah, I think that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Fuck. What a crazy, like, that I didn't know that you guys did the the you know worked on starts and stuff together and then so as an athlete like when you do something and you haven't won in a long time and then something happens and you win whether it's like fucking Christian Craig with red gloves like that probably started somewhere like that like there's some powerful shit that goes on mentally um, when you tie something to a race win and then so let's fast forward you start working with Justin and Melville (laughs) and people are just like what the fuck is going on like what you know people were saying like what could Wilhelm possibly have done in two weeks but it's like okay the issue with Justin is obviously not fitness or riding a dirt bike fast like there's something missing and like Justin obviously felt that there was something missing so it's pretty crazy what can happen in a guy's mind um, around like ingredients for success. When I think it, I think it's more so the trust in me. I trust him, and yeah, we didn't we didn't do anything that changed him in two weeks from fifth to 
one like that. No, it's not something like that, but it's the overall demeanor of the whole team. Like, I think everybody had their position. Everybody was happy. Like, dude, the, the vibe under the truck, like, I can't even explain it. Everyone's high-fiving each other before we even won. Like, it was just going to be a good day regardless. It didn't matter what was going to happen. Then Michael's crushing it. Pierce was too, unfortunately, he crashed. But it was just one, like, that was our bad part of our day was Pierce got together with RJ, and, like, it was scary because we thought Pierce was hurt, but luckily he wasn't. And it's just, it's crazy how those things come together, but it's honestly just the overall environment of everybody. When everybody knows their role and everyone's clicking, and at the end of the day, dude, it sounds stupid, everyone's happy. Happy is a big, big role. Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, I think it really shocked so many people that you know, because, like for me, so Justin Barsha is, for mine, one of the coolest people in the sport, and the sport needs him desperately, and for whatever reason, this year he's just gone fuck it, I'm gonna be Justin Barsha. Um, I had no idea. Like I've I've never really hung out with him at all. He's one of the few dudes I've never really worked with over there. I didn't know he was as cool as what he is. That like it the oh. the dude that he's like showing to people now. Where has this kid been forever, man? Like how is he this late in his 450 career and just now showing us what he is really like as a person? But it goes to show, man. Like there's a reason why he didn't for a long time. And like I, he's going to come do the podcast at some point. I can't wait to talk to him about it. But there's a reason man like he was he held back like he held back for a huge part of his career and for whatever reason you're seeing that he feels like he doesn't have to now and it's translated into he's won the opener he had a a brilliant supercross season now he's won an outdoor national it's like dude we've got the like this is now a a national treasure well and i think what you're seeing with him kind of relinquishing that is i mean you're scared to do that for a long time because this sport teaches you to you know tie the tie up real tight you know and it's got to be blue collar and you got to be by the book and this this and this no tattoos and blah 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 you know and it's i think all that's somewhat changing now luckily like all the stuff that was frowned upon is not so frowned upon and and then we're finding out that it is okay to smile at a dirt bike race and that you could still win while having fun. You don't have to be miserable um, to win. And I think that we're starting to get back into that. There has to be a balance. We're never going to go back to Havasu. I understand that. Everyone's too fit right now. I said, but but it's it's just cool thinking that this, <laughs> we we're making that back transition back in the middle. Havasu, though? <laughs> I know. I mean, I agree. Um, but I, I do feel like there, we're almost having that balance now. It went from maybe one extreme to the other, and I think we're finding that middle ground that we can have fun riding a dirt bike. Mm. And you know what? The team's also explained to him that they want that from him. They want him to be the fun guy. They want him to be his personality. And then look at BAM TV, dude. Like, it's not an act. That's him. The roller skis. Dude, when I got out that day and he was jogging in place by his sprinter van with those short shorts on saying, what should my heart rate be? Let's go. Let's go. And I'm like, that's when I was like, dude, I love this guy. That energy. That's what I needed right there. And and that's a real thing, man. Like to be around that kind of guy, uh, you know, there's a ton of people that they just bring that insane energy. And it's like, if you can if you can figure out a way to channel that like what he has like that fucking kooky ass brain that he's running like that's a powerful yeah. tool oh uh, without a doubt and, and like i said it, it it brings this 
this overall happiness to everybody on the team, right? When everybody, like, you're excited to be there, and this kid's goofy, and then, you know, Pierce is the rookie that's learning, and then Michael's his own unique aspect. Like, the overall group right now, it's making it so exciting for me because of the unknowns, right? I mean, I haven't been here that long, so there is still stuff I'm finding out, but at the same time, like, it's just the the sheer just happiness on race day. Like, we get there, and let's go, let's go fucking racing. Like, how awesome. Yeah, dude. No, it's so fucking cool. When when you were on um, Geico with Bam, did you see any of that side of him at all? Or was he, like, really subdued? Um, No. Behind closed doors, I remember, I mean, we did a boot camp at LaRocco's house one year and stuff, and he opened up quite a bit. Um, But he was still pretty young, too, so I think he was honestly not scared to show it, but probably a little bit reserved on, you know, how far can I go? But he's yeah. always had that wild side in him. Like, I mean, I remember, yeah. dude, we were, I think we lost him. Like, we had blown up our practice bikes, so I don't even know what I was on. I might have been on a CR250, like one of the Rocco's old bikes. And then we're all like, where's Justin? And then we were literally riding like a GNCC loop at Rocco's house. And uh, all you hear is like a horn and you see a light come over the hill. Well, he had found like an XR650. And he didn't ride the trail. He just comes blasting through the trees with it wide open and blows the headlight goes flying off the bike. Like the seat's off now at this point. He comes brake sliding up to us like, what's next, dude? And we're like, did you just wreck the bike? Like, what? what happened? You know? We're like, okay, well, carry on. Let's go. Let's roll. So it's just like, hey, so, he's always had that in him for sure. Yeah. So it was like always there, but it was kind of like, he obviously felt a lot of pressure to not be that guy which is pretty gnarly like if you kind of given the context that we've got now of like this fucking wild man like he's always been a wild man on the bike but then you know to then go like it's almost like the bike was the only place he actually could express who he sort of felt he was and you know you kind of look back now with the context of watching three episodes of bam tv and i'm almost a little bit sad that it's gone this long without um you know without kind of getting to see this side of him because that that's a big part of his life that he has just essentially put in the closet and hid away from people for the sake of his job right no and that's the thing i think you're probably scared because you're getting paid a lot of money and at the time it's to win races it's not to be funny or to do anything else of the sort so it's like well and like I said, if you weren't, if you didn't look or sound focused, you weren't doing your job and that's not the case. Mm. You know, you can, like I said, you can still have fun. This is at the end of the day and I don't want to be, it's going to sound bad, but it is just dirt bikes. It's okay. Like, let's make sure it's fun first. Like, why did you start riding? Cause you liked it and it was fun, dude. Like you're probably gonna get the most out of yourself if you're back in that same environment. Like, yeah, things change. Your skills gotten a lot better. Your fitness is probably exceeded anything that I ever thought mine would be or you know for anybody for that matter and but at the end of the day like why did you start doing this no different than when I left Australia I was having second guesses about retiring because I was like holy shit I fell back in love with it again and like the Mm. more we can get out of that the more you're going to get out of that athlete I really believe that yeah and I think that um I think that with Justin this is probably going to prolong his career you know like I don't know how old is he now I should probably know this, but I believe 27 or 8. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, he's essentially, like, done in the eyes of, you know, like, traditional championship 
winners um, right. in, in the sport, like if you go off history. But, you know, I thought after Millville, there was like this combination of, because again, like he's one of my favorite writers, put a bit of time into thinking about old Bam Bam. But I think about the story of his career and I'm like, damn dude, like he needs to win three Supercrosses a year and two outdoor overalls and you pay that motherfucker big money so that he stays on your team and is a huge draw. So it's like if he's 27 now, he can win Supercrosses till he's 32, 33 maybe. You know, it's just like, and then he wins some outdoors. And I'm not saying that he can't win a championship. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying like in terms of him being this like mega impactful star in the sport, you need to win a few Supercross races, a couple outdoors, keep doing BAM TV, keep being the coolest motherfucker in the pits. I mean, look at Ricardo, dude. Every, there's literally yeah. nobody ever wants Daniel Ricardo to retire. Daniel Ricardo will retire. No. People do not want him to leave the sport because he's the coolest motherfucker in Formula One. Dude, I, I love F1. If he has a DNF or something, I, I honestly struggle to finish the race. Yeah. Like, and it's not just because he's my friend. It's because, like, he's got that flair. He's going to make a gnarly pass. He's going to make things exciting. His radio's funny. You know, it's the same reason like, I love Kim. It's like... You care. Yeah, and, and you, you care. care what he... Yeah. Exactly. You care what he does. Like, I don't even know JB. I fucking care. I care what he does. You get invested with someone, dude. It's no different than, you know, I got into football be- or fantasy football because I wanted to get more into football. Then you get invested in a player that you like. And the next thing you yep. know, you like that team because of this player. Then he leaves, yep. but you still like that fucking team because now you've been invested because of this guy. It always correlates together it's, and it's crazy. But no, it's, it's, it is. It's the same thing. Yeah, so I think that, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, the fact that you're seeing Justin win races now is like a real testament to, um, yeah, like opening up and, and letting himself go. But it's like that now, I think he's carved out a value within the sport. Like previously, before this year, his value was only winning races, right? But that value now has gone through the roof purely because of like honestly three fucking youtube videos and his career is now worth so much more to so many people it is insane and it might sound like hyperbole but it's not man that's the difference that it makes no and it's it's crazy but that's the that's the era that we're in now right like social media matters when a sponsor approaches you it's well how many followers do you have do i love that no but that's reality you know, we have to do it and no different than YouTube. But you know what's funny? I have direct TV at home. I end up watching YouTube a lot and it might not even be, it's not all dirt bike stuff. I'll come across something on there that's like, wow, this is cool. And then you're engaging that person the same way we're talking about. Then all of a sudden you're like, wow, huh, that guy's actually pretty cool. And now you watch his golf videos or whatever the case it is. It's just, it's funny how that translates and then how you can almost feel like you know that person without even meeting them. And that's how I like. That's how he makes everyone feel in those videos, and that's why everyone loves him. You almost feel like you're invested with him in a sense because he's so normal. Like he's completely himself. You can tell it's not an act. He's just spazzy like that, and it's awesome. And people engage in that shit because it's not a scripted line. And like, well, I got seventh today, and you know we're gonna get him next weekend. We'll see you guys. Thanks. And it's like, well, we know what you got. We watched. That's why we're watching this video. We watched the racing. Yeah. 
So, yeah, and I, I think mean, for too, the mo- most fans, um, no. Yeah, and I think too, like, when you... So, a guy like Barsha is super important, and I think Ando is the same. Like, Jason Ando, he really started this shit, so we got to give him mm-hmm. the give him the props. With Jason Anderson, right, you see a guy that's just, like, cool as fuck, and he also doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's just going to... He's like, this is me, this is who I am, this is how I feel about shit, and I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And then there's... So, like, for me, I take from that. And I and I look to him. That's a guy that's bold. Like, he's he has, uh, he has made his choice, and he's sticking to his guns. So then I'm in Australia, and I'm watching Team Fried videos, and then I'm looking, and I'm like, fuck, man, I'm going to take a little bit of that in my life. Like, I'm going to... This is what I believe in. This is who I am, and I'm going to be that guy. I respect him for the level at which he's committed to that maybe i can adopt a bit of that in my in my life like am i moving and shaking around different people am i trying to fit in am i trying to you know am i making people happy by acting a certain way or should i be more like that and then you get a guy like justin spazzy motherfucker and it's like all right he's just being himself like he's he's down to risk it like he's down to risk people probably thinking he's an idiot at times but there's value in that so i can look at that guy and i can be like you know what when i'm in that kind of mood and when i'm feeling like just being a dickhead like it's okay to be like that that's a guy that i look up to and that i respect and he's doing it so you take from him and then ricardo you look at him always got a smile on his face always being the nicest guy always cracking a joke he's always playing down his success you know he's almost like self-deprecating to a fault at times and it's like a level of humility that he has. That's something you can take from. So I think that, you know, it's even goes beyond just like being a likable guy and being marketable and getting sponsors and stuff like that. Like you really can be a person that people look towards for inspiration. Like you can be a, definitely like a light in people's life just by being yourself and taking the there's like a certain amount of license that you take to be yourself and that comes with a certain risk and it comes with a cost and i mean jason anderson's probably felt that cost but it's like the the cost to him is probably worth the investment to all of us if that makes sense oh no without question like i i I look at that and i relate it to have you ever heard daniel after even a shitty race blame the car or the team no never he takes it on the chin himself and that's that to me is how you define someone like he's never pointed the finger and who knows what goes behind closed doors like I don't even know that and it's you know I've been there with him but I've never seen it but I I just know he just takes it and he's pissed about it and wants to be better but that's how you grow too like that's how you get better that's how you like if you blame everything like I mean at what point do you look in the mirror you know hmm what was that experience like going to um, F1 with, with uh, Danny Boy? Surreal, dude. Like, again, one of those things. Like, my dad, my dad's watched F1 since I can remember being able to open my eyes. Like, that, he's always done it. And, like, where we were from, that's, like, super weird and random. Like, if you didn't watch NASCAR, you're weird. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. And we didn't. My dad always was into F1 and always into German cars or any kind of European car, Audis, Mercedes, didn't matter. Like, he loves them. Always had auto weeks and all these magazines. So, but like it or not, I was raised on that. So, and, and for me, it didn't matter. If I had an engine, I was into it. So, 
growing up on that and then next thing I know I meet Daniel somehow I guess I'm weird enough that or he's weird enough like me that actually want to be my friend so that's awesome and so next thing I'm flying over there training with yeah and so is he um i think if you met him on a on a street corner he'd have no idea he races he treats everybody the same he honestly makes you feel like you've went to high school with him and you haven't even known him more than five minutes that's where i learned most of this stuff too from him like without even again he doesn't know this i've never told him this but it's like everyone he talks to he makes them feel like he's known Mm. them who else did that kevin windham no matter who came up in the autograph line he made he made you feel like you've known this guy for 15 years and you just met him and that that goes so far past like being a cool racing driver or being looked up to making people feel like that and you don't even know you're doing it that's that's a talent um so yeah being around him for that and then obviously going to train with him and seeing how hard those guys train is is it's intense dude like I knew they worked hard. I knew you couldn't be in a car like that and with the G's and all that stuff and not be fit. I knew that, but I didn't know it was that fit. You know, I I didn't want to say that I laugh at it or anything like that, but like I didn't really expect much fitness, dude. He is fit, man. Like doesn't have an ounce of body fat. Um, he can. We did an eighty or a hundred mile road bike ride with. I think it was from, gosh, Saint Tropez to Monaco. Um, and it was like. 250 people probably the prince of monaco was in there like dude i'm like what where the hell am i what am i doing like this is insane insane. you know just one of these cool things that we did and it was like then you're meeting all these people and then next thing i know there's a pro cyclist at the coffee shop that i've watched on the tour de france the last five years and i'm like holy shit like i'm meeting these people like this is insane and you know it's all normal to everybody else but i'm like on the inside being a super fan about trying not to show it because i'm like don't be a nerd right now like don't do it you know (laughs) and so no, but just like I said, being around him, super special. He's made me feel like family every time. He comes over when he can, and you know when he can, and then we hang out when we can. And I'm hoping all this shit goes back to normal because I want to go to another race. What was the race like? What was the experience of going to that race and having like that level of access? So intense, dude. Like, and it's funny too because you hear people bitch about like autograph signs here right or like oh we gotta drive an hour you know and, and i get to that deal it with does money. it's yeah yes it's a pain in the ass right like because we fly friday you get in friday barely enough time to get to your sign if you're lucky then you go to the sign and you barely have enough time to eat and then next thing you know you're getting up at 6 a.m to drive the track the next day yes it is taxing but i challenge anybody to go do a weekend of media for f1 like please <laughs> please go there and then tell me that you won't go to a dealer sign for an hour because it would be like no issues at all. I won't complain about that ever again because these guys are pulled so many directions. Like their schedule for the day they land till the day they leave that race is it's insane, dude. They have no time to themselves. None. It's literally, it's so focused. And then it's like that hour before the race is like a regroup, get the hand eye coordination going and then go out and then slug it out with the best in the best in the world man that fucking sport like i mean i know danny boy is not doing as good as he would personally want to do but it's like Mm. god damn dude you're in an f1 car you are the baddest of the fucking bad it don't get any badder than being able to do what you do and not just like one of okay there's one of 20 right that's the big picture that's the big picture 20 out of 7 billion people 
but then you're one yeah. of the fucking guys. Like, you might not have the car right now, like, all the vibe with the car right now, but it's like, as far as the baddest of the baddest motherfuckers go, you're in the 1% of the 0.001%. Like, it is just fucking preposterous to be able to handle what comes with being that level of athlete, man. Like, it's honestly unlike anything else on planet Earth when you see, you know, even to MotoGP, it's like I'm oh, yeah. really close with Jack Miller and it's just like there, there's a huge difference between MotoGP and F1 and they're like the two. The, the level that you need to operate on as a human to be a Formula 1 driver is, and one that's not like your dad hasn't bought you right like is staggering just completely staggering dude no it's 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 the pinnacle dude like i mean and not only that you've you've won monaco like <laughs> in, in a car <laughs> that was probably down on 30 percent power like who knows how much it was actually down but it was obviously slow and you're like dude like you've done it you've done what honestly a something that you dreamed about your whole life B something you thought you'd never do and C you did what you weren't supposed to do that's the can end of the can I add a D this, in right? there like, yes and D you're still the dopest cunt oh how did that question. not fuck you up how did that not fuck you up I really don't know and he I don't know how that amount of attention doesn't change a person like you know we, we get it at motocross but it's such a minute level like especially if you're comparing it to that like i'm not getting recognized in the airport or anything crazy like yeah randomly but it's have to be someone that's a a fan or b was at the race that weekend and so when you see that like how it doesn't change you i really don't know but he i mean since i've known him not one ounce different yeah he's matured and we get older in like the normal aspects of life but as far as the fame or anything like that or money or anything no he hadn't changed a bit not a bit it's yeah that's the that's the biggest like that's the biggest win eh? to come out of that unscathed unchanged probably yep. a better person than when you went in like fuck i know so many people so many people that are nowhere near that level and just did these 180s in their life and they just turned into these people that were like unrecognizable and you're just like what the fuck happened to you like why did it need to be like yeah. that yeah how why and then part of you is probably like, well, I guess I don't blame you because you got this attention and this money and whatever. But then you're like, but still, why? Um, yeah, I don't know how you pull that off. I really don't. Yeah, no, nah, that it's yeah, it's honestly incredible. Uh, what what can you think like? So from being at Monaco and like or being around F1 and you know MotoGP as a guy that like loves those sports and also loves our sport, like what translates? What should we learn from those sports? Like. What do you think we can take? Because, I mean, for me, uh, motocross and supercross, like, dude, you look at... Uh, I got into football, exactly what you said, like fantasy football. So, like, Nate Ramsey was the reason I got into into football over there. Uh, he kind of, like, got me in some fantasy stuff. And I loved Odell Beckham. Like, I kind of I found some cool players that I liked. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what, what you described. But once I really started watching football, like, Thursday and Sunday every single week... I was like, fuck motocross is behind the times. Like, there's dudes that their job is just to study tape. And, you know, like, moto is pretty antiquated when you think about it. But it's like, it's still growing. And I think that 
there's some crazy levels of like in terms of uh you know how whenever you hear about football you hear about the organization like oh well it's a great mm-hmm. organization like i think that you're sort of starting to see, see that in like star and i know that tk kind of thinks of it in that regard like he's got his idea of like how the organization is gonna run but like what can we borrow from sports like formula one and moto gp like how can we like how can we really blow the lid off this bitch in terms of the organization part of it's gonna be i mean purely the money i mean i think budget, we, yeah. we need some of that yeah you need, you're gonna need a little bit of the budget for sure because you can hire some of those people that are also like you're saying studying tape the whole time or you got one guy that's you know for one part of the data not all the data it's probably just the engine temperature and it's all he's monitoring you know and then you got one guy monitoring the chant the chassis data then you got another guy probably doing you know whatever the just the motor temp not the coolant temp it's actually the motor temp or the tire temp you know tire wear so i think with all that i mean there's a lot being said about that but the overall i think it's how it's viewed right and like i said just going back to it the media obligations that they have to go through on the weekend that's but that's why they make billions for a team is because they're willing to do this they're going to each one of these places with the drivers that they promised they're doing the signings or i mean i've never been to one so i really don't know exactly like i just know he was getting pulled every direction every hour to go do media so i just know that they're doing the right things at all times and i think we probably overlooked that's probably why we haven't gotten those the massive outsides like, I mean, obviously without Red Bull Monster and all that, we, you know, we need these guys. Um, we have to have them. And that's awesome. And I'm beyond thankful, obviously, in my career that we had them. But we do need more. We need more of them. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, yeah, it's like that would facilitate. Like, so if someone gave you a checkbook, right, as like, hey, Will, we got this fucking deal. We got $10 million for the team for gas gas troy lee i'm gonna give you two million dollars of that pie for you to work on your shit like what would be some of the things that you would implement with that kind of like you know big money checkbook style deal oh, dude. right now because i've been geeking out so bad on my side of it like dude i would go big i'd have every recovery equipment you could get and have the perfect gym yeah. and we'd have every cryo we'd have every machine that you could get because, I mean, if you could recover 5% better after a race, I mean, dude, that's huge. That's huge for, like, if Tuesday could be that much more, uh, you know, productive after a race weekend, if it could be that much better where you're half a second a lap better, that next race is going to be half a second better, you know? And if you just won, that's just even better. It's just, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm going, like, all in on this, and I, and I love it, and I don't know how not to, but, yeah, I, I don't know where I would end, you know? I would, I'm... I'm trying to do that right now and I don't have $2 million. <laughs> I mean, I'm wanting yeah. to go like, Hey, what, what can I get next? What can I apply to the gym? What's going to make it easier for these guys? You know, like what muscle stems can we get? Like, what's a good doctor to go to for rehab? Who's the best massage therapist? All this, like, it's just, yeah, you're just trying to figure out all these things. But yeah, if I had that checkbook, I'd hire all those people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, and, and then like, do you have the riders? So like, if you said to, to JB, and Pierce and uh, and Mosman like, hey boys, like Monday is just straight recovery. We're gonna do like massages. You're gonna be doing ice bars. You're gonna be doing um, the the hot bars. Uh, would you have the any pushback from those riders? Like, do you think that because you could have all the facilities, right? And because like for in my own life, I've 
dedicate a lot of time to recovery and like even you know compared to my housemate i'm like telling him all the time like hey dude like you train as much we train very similar amounts i live on my fucking massage ball and foam rollers and so right and you know like i live on these things and they make a huge difference and some people just kind of aren't willing to i guess or aren't open-minded to the benefits of certain things um i mean fuck granted i'm probably not open to certain things either but do you it's like you've got all the budget and you've got these facilities but it's if you don't have the riders that have that headspace around it it's sort of all for naught in a way yeah and i'm lucky right now because you know i think one of them or you know a couple of them they might challenge something but i kind of like that i'm okay Mm. with asking why asking the why i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's actually a gift um i wish i would ask a little bit more because i would have a registered more of what i was doing why i was doing it and it had a purpose and i might would have earlier on like we we're talking about on the road bike ride like why are we doing this it wasn't for the miles it was to make me mentally tougher to not accept or roll over easy you know and i think now i can explain that better where i was doing what i was told but i didn't fully understand why we were doing it now looking back mm. i know exactly why you know you didn't have a choice you had to be mentally tough or quit go home so now looking at that yeah and i and I, I do think they'd be all in yeah well they'd ask me why yeah of course they would and i don't blame them and i think that that's that's a good thing um but no i think justin at this point trusts me enough that yeah he's whatever let's do it yeah so um with him as a rider are you working on on the bike as well as off the bike stuff yeah both and so off the bike like what kind of athlete is he the same as you see on the bike wants more all the time and you almost have to slow him down because it's like you know not everything's supposed to be high intensity so like even in the gym it's like it's okay chill like take a break in between this set like that kind of stuff like it's i think he just wants to go 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 like i think that's why he's so good he wants it so fucking bad and it's like you can see it in his eyes um and I, yeah i mean it's it's visual like i said but that's that's how we're it's the same as the riding like you almost want to pull him back a little bit because he's mm. he needs just to chill a little bit and probably even better yeah so is that the is that the deal with him like on the bike like how much like does he have shit in mind that he wants to work on technically on the bike does he is in his mind are there like adjustments to his style that he needs to make to try and be more consistent or like do you know that like what his overall kind of game plan is in that respect because man on one hand it's like nobody rides like him it's fucking crazy when you look at the way that he rides like uh shout out to tommy tenders tom janae posted this reel on his instagram of last lap the three up the hill in millville before uh he comes and wins the overall and like the dude the fucking scrubs that he laid down on those three jumps up the hill yeah before he was about to win an overall on the last fucking lap of the race i was just like dude you're a straight up psychopath man 
Yeah, I mean, he came right up to me, and he's like, dude, I gave everything I had. I said, dude, no one's doubting you, brother. Like, no one doubts that for a second. <laughs> Both of you guys did. Like, no one's saying, like, ah, oh, you probably could have gave a couple more there. Like, no, we know. Um, no, I mean, that's just that's how he is. And I know he wants to have a game plan, but I think, honestly, I don't think at this point, I think you work on some of the weaknesses, but I also think you just make him that much stronger to where he can ride how he wants to ride. Yeah, so just like kind of don't don't fuck with the program too much. Just try and like facilitate it. I think so in a sense. And I mean, obviously you can always be better. And I think, and he, he wants to be, he wants to change little things and he wants, he's very open-minded, but at the same time you've done this for so long. And as soon as you get, I mean, he sees red, dude. Someone fucks with him in a corner. He's just going to go back to normal. And that's just, and it's also, again, what I love about him because, you know, he sees that and just, oh, all I know is wide open. You better get the hell out of the way. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. It's such a, it's such like a generational kind of style and talent. And yeah, I just, I'm pretty stoked to see, because man, like we got so close to losing him, eh? Like those couple years at Yamaha. Yeah. Obviously like shitty bike and then you know jgr suzuki like there was a sort of feels like he didn't really have a home after it was like geico factory honda then it was just like years of just like this lost kind of dude trying to get back to what it it was you know like it could have gone and i mean he'd have enough money to retire like he i know he was making fucking crazy money um in the geico days and like winning and then the factory honda contracts were huge like he's got you know got the place in florida and it's like he could have walked away and been sweet yeah and he could have but like knowing him now like even better like i knew that even when shit we were 18 years old but he can see it in him like he genuinely wants to do this like he, he loves it and i that makes it so refreshing easy to be around is when it's so genuine to it's not oh you know i need to I'm doing this to, you know, make the house payment. No, he's doing it because he wants to show everybody that he's the best guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I, I'm super excited for just, the, I guess, the whole, like, chapter that, that you guys have got going on. And, and you know, like, TK, been a rough couple years for those guys as well. Like, I'm pretty stoked that, um, it, isn't it crazy, too, just how, like, programs can kind of, in terms of, like, a team, you know, like, there were a lot of people that would have been doubting Tyler Keith as a team manager for a long time, just going through the lull of results that, that they went through. And, you know, I, I know they struggled a lot with, like, the bike and setup and stuff like that. And it's like, you kind of doubt this dude as a as a team manager and, and then, you know, you get the right group of people, the right brand of motorcycle and then they're kind of like getting a chance to make the vibe and then you get this guy like Barsha that comes in and fits that vibe and now everyone's looking at like oh this is like the the place to kind of be you know and I think that that's it goes back to Tyler I mean he's put this structure around him that he's built these people that now are all in place doing their job he trusts them so he doesn't have to worry so he can really focus on his job and he's not wearing too many hats as well like he okay suspension guy is good crew chief's good these mechanics are good will's doing this i'm doing this like it's like dude i, I told him the other day i'm like dude you've built a hell of a team mm-hmm. like being around these guys their attitudes you know you come to the shop how happy you are and how cleanliness everything is like it's just you know get the semi it's just a matter it's everything right now that i'm like we 
you're about to build this into something that's going to be really good. Like this is, this doesn't have an option to fail. Mm. Like we're all going to work too hard for it to. Yeah. And is there like, I've heard, uh, different rumors about like people coming in and out and riders and shit like that. But it's sort of, it is starting to feel like it could be like a real legitimate major player. Cause man, first year of gas gas first year, obviously the bike itself, like, you're dealing with a proven platform um and then the team was kind of there but like this is a whole new like everything is new no exactly i think that that's speaks for itself in its own like i said two outdoors they got podiums on 250 and 450 in supercross and they've gotten podiums in 250 and 450 outdoors like pretty much all the way around i mean as far as a first year and and granted like you said yeah the platform was there the bike was there i get that but doesn't mean that the the suspension guy knew it or these mechanics knew it perfect or even i mean the rider justin hasn't ridden ktm ever that i know of or a gas gas or a husky or anything of the sort so you know with all that said i think that again it speaks highly of the team and how good they are yeah when you um so to think about the way like to go back to star a little bit to think about the way that that yamaha 450 changed like in one year, it went from basically being like this unrideable, unwinnable machine to then AP killing it on that bike, Ferrandis killing it on that bike. Ferrandis is probably going to win the outdoor championship. And as the little fucking cherry on top, Tomac's going there next year. So it's like, how, like, can you believe the transition that that bike could make? Like, can you speak at all on like how that can even fucking be possible? Um, <laughs> it'd be a little bit politically correct, but it's, it's not being closed minded for starters. I think that there was a group that needed to be reset, that this has always worked for however long. And while it doesn't work anymore, the bike's heavy, it's this, it's that. Well, how do you make a heavier bike better? You shave weight off of it. And, you know, just honestly, again, it goes back to Brad and Bobby, like I was just saying from 08 to now, like there's no there's no mountain that's too tall to climb and Mm. again respect the hell out of it they'll do whatever it takes they're gonna work till midnight every night or shit not even go to sleep for that matter and um again i mean you gotta admire the hell out of it they've pulled it off yeah man that is is pretty crazy so taking off any team hats that you've got associated with what do you think about tomac going on that bike next year like what's he looking for i think it's a I think it's well. I think just a change. Honestly, he needs a fresh start. He's been there a long time, and unfortunately, I know how it can be there when things aren't going perfect, and it's not exactly a, a fun environment. Um, mm. So, with that said, I'm sure he wants to. I mean, again, going back to Australia, way different ways to end your career, but you want to go out probably enjoying your job a hell of a lot more than hating your job. So and I, and again, I, this is all speculation. I don't know that he hates his yeah. job currently or that he's unhappy, but I'm I'm assuming that he would like a change for a fresh start, probably just a, yeah something new, fresh, and oh this is fun again. I'm, I'm that's my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like such an enigma kind of dude, eh? Like he can just come out completely smash everybody to pieces to where when you watch that moto of that day, you're like, geez, nobody could beat this guy and then the next moto it's just it's not the same thing like do you from the outside looking in like 
What do you? What can you even put that down to? I honestly don't know. Like I don't. Like I feel like if I knew I could win like that, like truly knew it and believed it, I don't know how you could go out and go get a ninth after that. Like the way he demolishes people, like from thirtieth to first by halfway, and then still pulls twenty seconds, and it looks effortless. And then he he never stops smashing the track. Like he's literally punishing the track for being there. He's going so fast, and you're like, <laughs> how like how how is this even possible? You know? And then it goes out, and you can see a ninth place. No, I don't. I don't get that. And maybe more mental, maybe exerts himself more because he is getting older like maybe he doesn't have quite enough in the tank second moto which i highly doubt he's always worked his ass off so i don't think that's it either but man i don't know it is bizarre isn't it it true it truly is and i always i mean i've tried to wrap my head around it too i'm, I'm sure he is i don't doubt it for a second i'm sure he's like dude what the fuck <laughs> i just crushed everybody and now i'm in ninth yeah yeah i mean oh can you and imagine, I mean, we have seen, imagine if he figured it out. Like, we saw it three years in a row. But it's like, how do you go from, like, that guy to, to that guy? And it's like, the bike's not, I guess, that much different. I mean, easy for me to say the bike's not that much different. I don't, I'm not the dude riding it. But in terms of, like, just the platform, it's just, it is such a bizarre thing. It speaks to how fucking gnarly motocross is too, right? Like, you don't see Lewis Hamilton getting first and, and then ninth and then first and then 10th like it's just kind of like he just goes on the car's good he's good you just go on winning but in motocross like that just ain't the case no and it's like one of those things that reverts back to it where you're like the track changed enough maybe just enough to throw up the bike setup maybe enough because at that point like he's so good he's been at the team long enough they've got to know what he wants at this point even for motos so it must just be like he's those two clicks away from having that perfect symmetry with the bike for that moto and if it's not there he can't unleash that next level and i that's the only thing i can put it to i really don't know otherwise i mean he'd be able to do it because i know he's strong enough i know he's fit enough like all that other stuff is out the window for me like there's no way it's anything than that other than mental or maybe just a little bit off on the bike the the thing that like you could be so right it could be like two clicks away from that perfect setting but that argument to me makes more sense as a fan's perspective when I watch Ken Roxon because it's like he's so smooth and so yep. fluid yep. and so efficient and then you look at you look at Tomac and literally what you described is right like he's just punishing the track from being there I remember being at Nationals AMA Nationals filming on the side of the track and I could tell when Eli Tomac was coming past because the ground felt different that's not a fucking exaggeration. Yeah. That is straight up no. real shit. You'd have your back turned to Eli Tomac and you could fucking feel him breaking. So it's like, in my mind, that whole bike setup thing just doesn't make sense because it seems no, it like he just don't him. give a fuck. No, I mean, I don't think he does. I really don't. I think he just rides as hard as he damn can. Like, And again, it's just kind of like Justin. Like, get out of the way in the meantime. Like, he maybe not going to hit you as hard, but... He might blow your plastic off on the way by because he's going so much faster than you. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It just sort of doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't add up. But either way, like, I'm pretty excited 
for next year just like on a the sport perspective that there will be some kind of like big changes in that regard like you kind of don't see it that often i guess like big guys kind of moving around so i think it's just cool for the sport um to see him do something different and you know like obviously like that yamaha can win i think cable clutch probably you hear that that has quite a lot to do with it which is crazy to think that like a, a cable versus hydraulic clutch could be something that is like the linchpin in somebody's um feeling on a bike yeah i mean i i know i mean i've only ridden hydraulic one year um of my racing on ktms and uh yeah it's it's definitely different different feel for sure um just feeling the engagement point you don't quite feel connected to the bike it's a little bit more of a light switch electric feel i guess um versus like i know exactly where the lever is at i know exactly where the release point is on the cable so i guess i could see that for sure yeah yeah um i wanted to talk a little bit about motocross the nations just again fan perspective from your end um who should be on that team for me i don't think you could send a more american team than justin barsha Aaron Plessinger and Cooper Webb and put that little son of a bitch on a 250 I don't know how I could argue with what you just said I mean if everyone's going I mean yeah I mean if there's no okay we're not going or we're not supporting the event or this guy's too busy or we're moving whatever the case is like it can't go but yeah I mean if you're sending that I mean shit look at AP's hair right now he would be so excited to go over there um, yeah, Justin's obviously done it plenty. He has a big amount of pride, and same with Coop. Coop takes that shit very, very seriously about his country. Yeah, man, I think that that is because, like, from my perspective, like, I don't have a horse in this race. I think Team Australia is going to win this year. Uh, but for me, it's like if I'm the American selectors, dude. There's a bunch of angles that we could actually pull this apart. But if I'm the the American selectors, it's like, all right. There's been this insane... It's almost like American. the American team is like a victim of its own success in a way, right? So it's like the pressure to win that Chamberlain trophy because they've done it so many times. They had this crazy era with like Ricky and James and Villapoto and Dunge and they just did so good that it almost seems like America kind of doesn't want to go if it doesn't feel like it's going to win. But guess what? The fucking... The times have changed. And I think that if you want to zoom out and look at the picture of motocross like what is good for motocross well having the current ama well two-time ama supercross champion in a team is great you got aaron plessinger that's the most american motherfucker in america and then justin barsha he ain't lagging too far behind that guy and you know you you send that team i think it sets this crazy precedent of like you don't have to send the lights guy like you just send who wants to go who wants to rep the flag who wants to run the red white and blue and who wants to try and fuck shit up and it's like that is moto that's fucking metal and that is america and i think that to to not do that like if that if that card's on the table like i know cooper webb wants to go and i know that he's down to ride a 250f and it's like what's the what's the problem why would that be an issue i think too like you look at um from the marketing perspective ktm wise like coop ain't in this championship at all what do you do let him race the last two rounds of outdoors on a 250f go and play in that 
championship that's some crazy eyeballs that are gonna go um onto that class like even you know like you want to think about the future of the sport like coop's probably going to be doing his last years right around the time that jet is doing his first years you know so you've kind of always got like that transitional period yep. where it's like the young dude's going to take out the big guy let's give coop a chance to go out and fucking show the young pup what's up you know so there's just so many dope angles and and to me if you send that team as team america it's like you're kind of making a statement that it ain't all about winning it's about motocross and and kind of like the commitment of the americans to the world of motocross no and i think everyone would love it i mean when you think back to like i remember i remember watching immigrants at 500 one year when they i mean i know that used to be a norm like there was 125 to 5500 championships like i get that but there was a time where it also wasn't an immigrant to 500 you know it's like those like i know it's opposite of the spectrum but it's also not it's not what he was training mm. for I bet he didn't test on that thing very much, but he went there, did it, pulled it off, won, came home. But that's like, again, one of those commitment things where it's like, hey, oh, we're going? Okay. Oh, you need to ride a 500. Okay. Whatever. Like, whatever I got to do, let's go. I mean, I know, I know yeah, it wouldn't matter if I got told to ride a tricycle, I'd go to that event. Yeah. Yeah. But do you feel like we've lost a bit of that? Mm, yeah. And, and, the, the schedule's to blame. I mean, it sucks. I mean, just imagine if we weren't under COVID right now, we would have had the normal schedule, would have had 17 in a row where we didn't have any off weekends. And luckily the 10-day hauls at Supercross did give us some weekends off, which was nice. And this, honestly, the outdoor series had some breaks as well. Like we just, we're just coming off a two-week break, which is phenomenal for everybody. Um, but then look at it. If we had Monster Cup and then Straight Rhythm and Nations, and then you're expected to take a, you know, you got to fit a f at least a three-week break in there somewhere. Well, now it's mid-November, and I got to race in a month. Like, it's just insane what we ask for them. You know, we ask a lot out of these guys, and it's not a big deal at the beginning of your career. But once you're Eli, Justin, Coop, mm. at that point in your career where, not the twilight years, but essentially, unfortunately. The business um, end. Yeah, where you're like, dude, I do need a break. I need to reset. Yeah, I can hammer this out, but that's every time I do this, it's taking a year off of me. You know, there's yeah. only one more year I can do this now, or two more, or maybe there would have been five had I taken a little bit of a break. Or you go the Justin Brayton route where he's just super crossing it, doing Australia, making good money, loving it, and still racing. He's what, 37? And yeah. he's enjoying it, he's loving it, and he's still successful because of a little bit of the reset, the break. Let yourself gain 10 pounds and then work it back off instead of trying to gain weight in the offseason because you just came off of a 12 round series plus 17 and now you're you look like you just finished tour de france because you're so calorie you know deficit so yeah to yeah. me you know, it's one of those things yeah yeah no it does make sense what what do you think that like i don't think we've really lost out i mean i'm sure that davy coombs has lost money on the series not having as many rounds or whatever but it's like there's an overhead right that you let's say they run three extra rounds like that costs more money to run those three extra rounds you got more potential to make profit i get i get it but it's like as has this been better like these last couple of years the fact that COVID has kind of messed with the program has it been better on these guys like it is it a better thing to kind of have this limited schedule and should it be something we kind of look towards 
I really do. I think it changed it just enough. I, I mean, I think it's no different than you wake up and you do the exact same thing every day, the same exercise. You become somewhat um, not immune to it, but tolerant, right? Like you start yeah, getting yeah. used to it. It's the same stuff, but then you changed one exercise, and now your you know your abs are sore, or now my legs are sore. But all I did was add in one different exercise. Well, yeah, it shocked your body enough. So, yeah, it's the same thing with your system. I think, like, you do enough different things. Like, yeah, we went to Atlanta. Everyone loved Atlanta. It was just like Daytona without sand. Not that much different. But everyone loved it because it was different. It was something different, you know. And same with the outdoor schedule last year. Went to Loretta Lens. All those, well, 90% of those kids on the gate have already raced there. Everyone's excited to go back there because it's a new venue. You know, it's not the same 12 round series and you know with the exclusion of maybe a round gets flip-flopped on dates here and there but other than that i mean it's the same series and once you've been doing it for eight years i mean it doesn't take much change to make it really fresh again too yeah that makes sense so what do you think all right let's say let's say coop because coop's been struggling pretty bad this year like i he i know that like he he was really wanting to win that outdoor title um, I mean, obviously all those guys do, but I think that was like a big point to prove for him was to like come off the Supercross title and then go win the outdoor title. Um, and he's just struggled like gnarly to, to make it happen. What do you think Coop would do if he went into the lights class? And let's say, let's say that he runs a Team America graphics kit and he runs a red, white and blue at the last two rounds of the Nationals on a 250F. Like, what do you think he can do in that class? Like a top guy stepping back. We never really see that happen. I mean, normally that stuff doesn't go that well. I mean, last time I think that actually happened would have been like Ricky. I think Ricky did that to get Barnett's record in like 01 or 02. I think he had already clinched the title. And I think I remember him beating Brownie, and then it, but it also helped Brownie win the title or something. It was something crazy like that. But I would say normally it doesn't go to plan, but Coop is not a guy you want to doubt ever for anything. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went one one, dude. It would not shock me. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he got sixth. I wouldn't be surprised if he went and went one one, no problem. Yeah, dude. I mean, I feel the same. Like. You, you just go, I actually don't think Coop gets the respect that he deserves. I think that he's no, probably he going to be one of those guys. You, you agree? Yeah, he doesn't get enough. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, man. I, I think I think Cooper Webb is going to be one of those guys that when his career is done, people are going to look back and be like, yeah, fuck. He's like one of the best ever. <laughs> and I don't like yeah. for whatever reason in his career like when we were watching Villapoto everyone's like man he's one of the greats like he's Hall of Famer and then you're watching Dunge and you're like dude he's one of the best to ever do it and then you watch Coop and it's just like people don't give him that same respect and I this year in particular watching him win this Supercross title how do you win 17 races when you're the fastest at basically zero of those races every whoop section you're looking at Coop being like this could be the one that he fucking cartwheels in it and it's just like didn't give a fuck at all at any point zero self-doubt and if there was he shut it out of his mind worked his way through it so like I think he's extremely underrated and I think that at any day like you look right now he's i would say that he's pretty jaded by this whole outdoor season like there's obviously a bunch of shit that he's like not pumped on this outdoor season bike or whatever wise um 
but it's like if if I had to put money on a horse and that horse was Cooper Webb, I would put money on Cooper Webb going to like a race, stepping back to just one, some one-off random event. Or like, let's say, yeah, there is just this one race. You get all these guys, you put them in a random place and you're like, all right, pick a winner. I'd be like, fuck, I'm probably going with Coop, man. Like, because he just seems like the kind of guy you can't bet against, even though a lot of people don't want to bet for him, if that makes sense. No, but you know what's funny is that, like, I feel like Kuzman Tati, have you watched The Last Dance? The Last Dance? Or the Michael Jordan? No. I think it was called The Last Dance. Oh, so the, it's no, worth actually, watching. yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's, it's a must no, watch, I, I dude. Haven't watched and it. so, like, he says in there, he made up things basically to piss himself off, like, that he thought, like, either mm. um, a competitor would say to him, even though he didn't say it, he would tell himself enough to where he believed it that that guy was basically saying that you don't belong or he's going to kick your ass tonight or whatever. Coop's just like that, dude. Doubt him for a second, he's going to go win or he's going to prove you wrong and he wants to prove you wrong. And, like, I think he eats that shit up. Like, you tell him he sucks, he's going to go show you he doesn't suck. He wants to be told that. And it's it's like, it's it's crazy. It's cool to be around. It's cool, and again, that I'm his, like one of his friends. Like that's awesome, you know. And I, I love seeing it. Love rooting for him. Um, but yeah, the mentality it's very overlooked because dude, that guy can rise up any minute. And like you said, I remember Dallas this year clear as day. I mean, he was terrible in the whoops all day. I think he crashed in the heat with Chase. Um, wasn't looking yep, that yep, good. Yep. And in the main event, I mean, he's he's battling for the championship. I would say probably one of the guy best guys in the whoop section kenny i would say at current pro right now he's probably one of the best as far as raw whoop speed um and technique through him and so it looks like it's going to be bad next thing you know coop's doing some rhythm through him that ends up being faster than kenny skimming them and passes kenny in the whoops all night long this guy looks atrocious like it's going to be tough to get seventh and pulls it together and wins and you're like, this is why you can't doubt him. Right here, another example. How many? How many do you need before you don't doubt him? So put him on a 250 effort mode across the nations and let him go and fuck shit up. And let him show that that KTM 250 is competitive. Yeah, yeah, man. I'd be, I would be all about it. And just like, even again, you know, just for like the interest level of the sport, like that's what in terms of like what is best for the sport that's what's best for the sport like motocross and nations america goes there like maybe gets on the podium or whatever with like it's probably like rj chase i think i heard like rj chase and ap maybe I, I can't remember exactly what i heard um but it's like that's that's definitely cool and i'd be pumped for rj to get that chance but I mean, in terms of, like, big picture of the sport, dude, send Cooper Webb on a 250F. Like, that is the headline, you know? And then you got Jet going back to Europe for the first time since he was two and going there as, like, this new, you know, crazy sensation in America. Like, this could be the craziest motocross of nations, um, you know? And it's just, it's all, sport is about storylines, you know? And, like, this is the storyline that you could pick to, to, you know, do the sport justice. Well, we were just talking about it. Like, you got involved with fantasy football because of a player or whatever, and we're talking about that. Well, no different. Like, fans could get really engaged over, oh, Coop's going back to a 50F? Like, because they're probably tuning out at that point. Outdoors is over. Like, yeah, we'll watch Nations, yeah. but we haven't been doing that good, and it's kind of, eh, it's whatever. Different time zone. But, dude, you want people to watch that? Put them on a 250. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, uh, mate, it's almost been uh, pretty much done the old three hours here. I am uh, so stoked we got to catch up. I mean, man, we've been friends. Actually, when the fuck did we even start being friends? I can't remember the first time I met you. Dude, I was, my dad asked me that on the way here, and I was trying to remember that. I swear it was 08. I swear somehow, some way, like when you first came over here, you and I, or you were filming something, but I was there maybe with Josh, or I, I don't know. But it was like somehow we met, and then I think we were both like, hey, he's cool. Well, hey, he's cool. And then we were just, we were just cool. And it was just like instantly, it wasn't like we had to get to know each other. It was just like, oh, he's cool. Yeah, right on. Cool. You're cool. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about, I'm pretty sure. There's a photo somewhere at a Supercross, and it's me, Kenny, Eli, and you. And it was, I was I, like, we were kids. Like all of us were just literally kids. Yeah. And uh, but man, I was think I was thinking about. I was like, I can't really ever remember like the first time we like fully met. But you know what you you know what you said about Ricardo when you're saying he makes you feel like you're best friends. I always just had that feeling with you as well. Like ever since I can ever remember. Well, since I can't even not remember meeting you, I just always knew that me and you were just fucking me and you were just boys. Like anytime anyone come, like Will Hahn come, up, I was like, yeah, dude, he's the fucking man. Dude, it was hilarious too, because then I come to Australia, and sure enough, right away we hang, we, like, we see each other there, and I'm like, we picked up like and I haven't seen you in years, yeah. and it was like we picked up like no big deal. Like, hey, what's up, dude? Oh, not much. Same old, you know. It's just back to normal, and I'm like, dude, that's that's rare. It's cool. Yeah, no, it was pretty pretty stoked. And yeah, we definitely like. I feel like it's actually kind of funny that we probably haven't spoken that much lately, or like probably over the last year because we were trying to do this. So we've had a bunch of conversations. It was like, ah, oh, we'll just save that for the podcast. We'll save that for the podcast. I know, but literally, this, dude. Yeah, this is like the first like real good catch up we've had in like a long ass time, and it feels great. Nah, that's good. I'm fucking stoked. I, I'm so excited to get back there, dude. I'm like, gonna make it happen. I'm gonna try and get over there. We'll like fully build. I, I want to build like, a studio like this over there, and uh, you know, like start doing some supercross companions and shit like that over there. But it's fu- it's a trip, man. Like the way that my life was over there, and then to come back and do the podcast, like it would just be the complete. Like it would just be like this weird full circle deal but it would be so rad to actually get to do this with like all you boys that like because man you guys were like you guys were my family over there you know like i didn't have that many people and it was just it was guys being cool like you to me that like made me feel like it was a fucking good place to be and that was you know that was a long time it was like that well we all need that no different than like when i came over there you felt so welcome instantly that like you need people like that because it's easy to be uncomfortable in a setting that you're not used to, even though I don't know how you can be uncomfortable in Hope Island. I really don't. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, like you have all these people around you, like, what do you need? What's up? Oh, do you want to ride? Or like, do you need a gym? And like, you guys were all, everyone was so damn cool to me, but you need that. The more we could do that and the more we'd worry less about who's wearing a mask and who's not, and who's getting the vaccine and who's not, and just be fucking normal humans again, the world would go back to normal a hell of a lot quicker. Oh man, amen to that, eh? And you know, like that's probably like the biggest underpinning of this whole project of doing this podcast is just like conversations with good people. Like, fuck, I love talking to good people, man. Same. That gives you me that hope that we still have <laughs> humanity, still normal <laughs> at this point. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a whole nother three. <laughs> three <hour laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, man. I'm super stoked, dude. Like, as a as a friend, man. Like, I just could not be more proud of what you're doing right now, and it just makes so much sense. Like, you've been the best guy to so many people for so long. So you know, like. It, it's funny you know the whole way through this you, you're sort of saying like you probably didn't really consider yourself to be what you were this whole time you know but it's oftentimes the people that underrate themselves and undervalue themselves that um actually provide the most value to people you know so i think that it's such like at times can seem like such a ruthless and cutthroat sport and you know like you got to be the fucking man and you got to have this big dick energy constantly and it's like yeah you need that a little bit but also look at will Hahn. like there's a fucking guy that was just the nicest and coolest person forever and it's like you know your career can you can probably have a bigger impact post racing um on this sport than you ever could have had racing and it's like and you won championships so it's like the value of being a good person in this industry is like so underrated and you are the example of the nice guy not finishing last oh i mean that means a lot dude there's a lot of mutual respect here obviously and i don't want to sit here and act like we're gonna tell each other off but i mean i will but it's like one of those things yeah you can take me off it's a lot of while yeah (laughs) no big deal um no it's it's very flattering to hear it for one um but the mutual respect goes i mean look what you've built dude look at the following you got i mean when i open my youtube you pop up like and it's not just because it's motocross related it's because it's huge dude and it's overseas it's not even local for me so it, it's like i said be proud of yourself look what you've built it's badass no i appreciate it, dude well um let's do this again hopefully the next one's in person but if not i give a fuck i love talking to you and uh super stoked dude, i'd love to do a companion with you dude 100 percent. i'd be down so, you'll be you'll be at the race dude i love listening to him oh yeah true we need to figure well, it out. You know what? You know what? Somehow, some way. Well, well, you know what we should do. Actually, Jacob is Jacob listening. You got headphones on, Jacob? Yeah, yeah, yep. Perfect. So, Jacob, what we need to do? We need to take this US setup and we need to put it in the pit somewhere, and then we just need to have people like we just got our own little Supercross companion booth, and it just comes through to the studio because like we had Jed on this year, like he called in for Hunter's first main event. That was like the dopest shit, man. Like, because he, there was just like so much emotion. He completely forgot he was on the fucking podcast. He was just screaming at the TV. But yeah, they're super fun. So, like, the US studio, I definitely want to build like something dope so that we can do those those companions because they are fun yeah. as fuck. No, that's what I, I like. I enjoy listening to him. And I was at the race, but I listened back to him because they're, <laughs> they're like, there's different insights and stuff. Like, I enjoy the hell out of it. So. No, we'll get one done. You know what we could do, actually, is we could do, like, GP companions or something like that, you know? Yeah. I enjoy that because that's Formula way out of my companion. realm anyway. Like, oh, man. Yeah, let's go. That would be a tug fest. Oh, yeah. No, I'd be, I'd be just all over Daniel the whole time, no matter what place. Last doesn't matter. <laughs> Fuck, he's doing good, bro. He has no front wing yeah. and, a, <laughs> and a flat He's three laps down, right. Will. Yeah, but look how good he looks. <laughs> look at his helmet bro yeah <laughs> uh, alright dude I'll let you get out of here I appreciate it and uh, yeah we'll, we'll talk to you soon I'll probably put this this bad boy out tomorrow the people need to hear it awesome appreciate it brother 
All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Fuck yeah. Thanks, brother. That was awesome, dude. Nah, I appreciate that. Did you enjoy it? Uh, the hell out of it. I knew I would. Nice. I know, and that's why back. I wanted to make sure I could come and not stress anything because I knew, like, if we go into depth, like, it's going to be hours. And I'm like, I want, I don't want to feel rushed or. Yeah. Yeah, I want it to just be normal. No, nah, sick. No, well, that's fucking awesome, man. Well, um, all right, we're going to get busy fucking editing this bitch and uh, put it out there for the people. Okay. Well, thanks, right, brother. I'll text you all. Get your ass over here when you yeah. can. Dude, I'm so keen, man. Getting keen. Australia's fucking weird right now, so I'm fucking keen to dip. Yeah, get the hell out of there. And, yeah, you know, I know you got plenty of people, but anytime, hit me up. You can stay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Nah, that'd be so sick. So, yeah, like I said, welcome anytime. All right, sweet legend. All right, I'll probably text you. Uh, I'll probably text you at some point, but I'll send you all the links and all the docs and all that shit, so. Yeah, perfect. Whatever you want me to throw up to and whatever. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Yeah, sick. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon, eh? All right. All right, man. Take care.